I put him in a tough spot with the time in which I left, which then just kind of trickles into, um, you know, different system, you know, different terminology. Um, it, it was difficult to, to watch at times in terms of like you get frustrated uh, watching it because you want to try to help and you wish you could help. Uh, and you felt I felt guilty at times. Um, but, you know, knowing that I wouldn't have made the decision any different. Um, looking back on it, even after it not really working out in both places. Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Night South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Well, it's been a week since we had college football on our televisions. Have the season is over blues kicked in for you just yet? Not yet. I got a weekend off because we just went and saw my parents. Nice little like long MLK weekend. So got to hang out with them, had a nice weekend, didn't really miss it. But I think this weekend I'll be just sad. Yeah, sad is, you know, I, I think it just feels like, oh, what do I do with my hands when I wake up on a Saturday morning? Right. There's not, a, there's not a game to go to. There's not a game to watch. I will say the NFL was awesome over the mm-hmm. weekend and that helped. And I watched mm-hmm. more. I watched probably more NFL that the, this past weekend than I have, ah, man, like I'd, I'd like to say rest of the year combined. Yeah. Maybe with the yeah. exception of being at your place. Other than that though, like every other weekend besides that, I don't really get into a whole lot of NFL stuff anymore only because my entire Saturday is college stuff. But yeah, NFL, it was awesome on Saturday and then into Sunday. I was like, this feels like college, like college yep. vibes. NFL, this is this is our thing. We're the ones who make things exciting and interesting. And even though the national championship didn't, um, just stay in your lane, NFL. All right. But that was like, that's the best part of in joking about it all season. That's like, I'm just not going to pay attention to this regular season because in the NFC, it's all pointless. Like the Vikings got exposed yesterday. And I was like, wow, imagine watching every one of those games and being invested in that team. Couldn't be me. So yeah, you got like some Joe Burrow still going on. You got the AFC. That's like the fun one. So I think we're really tuning at the perfect time for the NFL. We are. We are. But yes, do miss college football. We do have mm-hmm. a great, great first off season. Yes, I said off season. Don't tell me anybody. First off season pod lined up. We're going to get everybody fired up for 2023 with things I can't wait to see in 2023. And then a certain doppelganger of mine, Liam Cohen, is going to join us. And then we're going to close with a little figuring out buying a car because we bought a car. So yeah, very yeah, topical. Man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. We will have a lot to discuss with that. Okay. Things I can't wait to see in 2023. Will. Spencer Radler and Juice Wells are running it back. Love mm-hmm. it. Love to see this. We got the announcement last week. A-plus content from Rattler with the Wolf of Wall Street clip mixed into the highlights. I don't think I've seen Wolf of Wall Street. That missed me. Really? Yeah. I, I'd be interested by your take on that movie because that guy is a guy you would just not be friends with. Mm, yeah, that's fair. Based on the gifts that I've seen that have come out from that movie, I, I think we could make that I think we can make that assumption. Um, yeah, that's just one of those that's fallen through the cracks for me. I've just never seen that. I don't know why, but whatever. Um, I, I I understand all the references when people make You might just come out of that being like, that guy was a jerk. And that would be your only takeaway. That's the thing. So I can't even recommend it because it's one of those like big life, like big money type movies. But you're just like, you know, dude who likes to be organized and hates people like that. So I yeah. don't know. It might not be for you. 
I saw what I needed to see from the Spencer right. Rattler. I'm coming back video. Uh, both Rattler and Drew Swells apparently got draft feedback that wasn't quite as good as what they were hoping for. And now they get to come back. They get to spend eight months being super decorated. They'll probably make a lot of money in NIL. If Spencer Rattler isn't making at least two million bucks in NIL, I'd be very, very surprised. It's a good thing that Shane Beamer got that raise because these guys will probably make more combined than what. Shane Beamer's salary was last year, which was $2.75 million. He got a nice little raise. Didn't quite get the $7 million we were talking about, but got you know into that 6-5 range. And then with the incentives and stuff, he'll probably end up making somewhere in that 7 range and all that. But nonetheless, he's got a couple of guys that you can build a team around. And that mm-hmm. is really, really good. Spencer Radler, if you think he's a bad investment, tell me about all the buzz he's going to create compared to Luke Doty. Just think about that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Think about how differently we'd be talking about South Carolina. If we thought that Luke Doty, again, I don't mean to disrespect him, but if we thought that he was going to be the starter, as opposed to the guy that we saw down the stretch and yeah, that is weighing heavily on our minds. Okay. And I'm sorry to the Luke Doty apologist, but if he put together a three game stretch, like what Rattler just did, mm-hmm. That would be beyond the most optimistic expectations. If he ever did that at any point in his career, and it was beyond Rattler's expectations as well, or at least what we thought our expectations were of him. So that's what everybody wants to know. And frankly, it's kind of why I'm excited to see him coming back, even as a guy that we've been talking about so much for the last four plus years, it still feels like it's kind of an unknown. And it at least feels like an unknown for those who watch the good and the bad, instead of just deciding after the Florida game that there's nothing that he can ever do to change their minds. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think that there is necessarily a clear answer of who he's going to be. We need to see what it looks like with a new play caller, all those things. I did the side-by-side breakdown of the first 10 games compared to the last three games. And don't you know it, uh, it's, it's pretty black and white. Pretty, pretty much is. Yeah. Um, TD, the tie and T ratio in those first 10 games, uh, eight touchdowns, nine interceptions, 7.2 yards per attempt, 197 passing yards per game, quarterback rating of 128.4. Six of those eight touchdown passes, by the way, in the first 10 games, they came against Vandy, South Carolina State, and Georgia State. We respect Sean Elliott, but woof. Last three games, Spencer Radler, 10 to 3 TD to INT ratio, 8.6 yards per attempt, 348 passing yards per game, quarterback rating of 162.9. Take away the, the non-offensive scores. South Carolina averaged 37 points in those games compared to 25.8 before that. They were a different offense. We can all say that with confidence. Even the Jaheim Bell thing and the Marshawn Lloyd, all that stuff didn't really make much of a difference. They were different because Rattler was different and his connection with Juice Wells was very, very good. I'm interested in a couple dynamics here. One is Juice Wells, of course. James Mm -hmm. Madison product making, I mean, he made some ridiculous catches last year. He really Mm -hmm. did. Fun guy to watch when he could really get behind one and and you could see him kind of, you know, get behind a secondary and, and do some things in the open field. He he established himself as the clear go-to guy down the stretch. I, I said Malik Neighbors would be my number one returning receiver in the SEC. I think Wells is what? You think he's he's probably two, right, Will? Yeah, no, I think so. And it's when you think about the quarterback play too, I mean, from game one, Daniels and Neighbors were kind of on the same page. Whereas Wells had to kind of like find his rhythm in the offense as the offense was sputtering. And the fact that he came in late, it's like the stock is rising for him for sure. 
I love it when pass catchers can line up everywhere. I love it <laughs> when they can do that. They can get separation any place in the field. They can move the chains. It's why I loved Mike Thomas. It's why I love Justin Jefferson. It's why I love Traylon Burks. It's why I love Malik Neighbors, and it's why I love Juice Wells. A little more than one-third of the time that he's on the field, he lines up out of the slot. He can line up out of the on the outside as well. You need that, those guys at this level. It'll be interesting to see how much more Dowell Loggins lines him up in the slot. If that's going to be a key part of their game plan, time will tell. There's another dynamic I'm interested in. No more Marcus Satterfield, in case you haven't heard, off to mm-hmm. Nebraska. It's Dow Loggins' time. Loggins worked really well with Jay Cutler when he was the Bears quarterbacks coach, even though Adam Gase was the one who got all the credit in 2015 <laughs> when Cutler had the best quarterback rating of his career. I think Cutler and Rattler have a lot of similarities, a lot. Very Those guys similar. would be homies. I think they would. They'd either <laughs> be homies or they'd hate each other because of how similar they are. Right? Yeah. Like they both like kind of get to their respective shows and be like, look at that jerk over there. <laughs> yeah. They'd go up, they they'd get into a fight at the bar and it'd be like, What are you, what are you guys fighting about? Like you guys are saying the same exact thing. This is right. stupid. What are, what are we doing? Attitude, demeanor, skill set. You're either kind of about them and you're just very much intrigued by their upside or you're just like nope this can't work i don't want to see this guy succeed there's a lot of that with both of those guys you mm-hmm. saw cutler give the ring the ringing endorsement of dial loggins i've always thought that the mental side of this for rattler was going to be big and having an offensive coordinator who understands a quarterback that is wired the way that he is that could be huge it could be the rattler wells that duo it, that that and then the Jaden Daniels Malik Neighbors duo that would be probably my favorite NBA Jam teams if that were a thing in the SEC in 2023. That and KJ mm-hmm. and Rocket, of course, those would be my top three NBA Jam teams. That might have to be a segment. <laughs> that would <laughs> be real fun. Yeah, that's good. The T-shirts would be fire. Those would sell. Come on, we got to get homage on that. They'll they'll, mm-hmm. they'll have that probably at some point down the road. Here, speaking of LSU, will another thing I can't wait to see in 2023: the Harold Perkins Encore. Hold on real quick. I just want to say something about Spencer Rattler. How about the notion of him as the adult in the room? That is wild. Um, yeah, there's there's some of that. There's there's some of that with him. I I mean, he's 22 at this point. Yeah, right? but think about when you talk about him over Doty, it's like this is a guy that early in his career was known kind of to be immature. But you look at him now coming back and you're like, this guy's like at this point, a little bit of a proven commodity. You feel like he has at least ingratiate himself to the locker room which is something that we kind of worried about when he transferred in and so if anything it's like he's trying to come back to really stick it to the people who said that he couldn't fit in and be a leader because i think they're going to go as he goes especially with a rookie oc so i think that's actually going to be the best way he could kind of improve his draft stock is by showing consistency and being the opposite of what we thought he was coming into south carolina initially does that make sense yeah i I think that's what he still try to do down the stretch there. And mm-hmm. he's he's always going to piss people off. That's not changing. Yeah, I, I mean, think about it. He, he's never going to be that guy that's for everybody. And mm-hmm. that's okay. And you need he feels like in order to maximize that best version of himself, he sometimes needs to draw with guys. Sometimes mm-hmm. that's going to get him into troubles. Into trouble. Sometimes that's going to be just the last thing that you want to see when you're like, hey, your stat line has really sucked. You had three non-offensive touchdowns in this game. You probably shouldn't be talking trash to South Carolina State, okay? Yep. You haven't done a whole lot to really show us that you're on that. And I'm not saying that he did that in that game, but I'm just saying hypothetically speaking, he has a little bit of that in him. 
Mm-hmm. And that's not going away, even if he is the adult in the room, right? Right. So if that's your expectation, just because he's entering year five, I think you're looking at this wrong. I think you need yep. to have adjusted expectations for Spencer Rattler. I have him as my number five quarterback in the SEC coming into this season, especially after what he did down the stretch. I think that's really important. But there's always going to be that unknown with him. He is still going to be a wild card. I don't think all of a sudden he's going to be this steadying presence at all times, though I think I agree. I think he did answer a lot of those questions that we had for him. Can he kind of avoid those landmine mistakes Is he Mm -hmm. going to stick with the team and do all those things necessary to be the true QB one that South Carolina desperately needed coming into this year? Mm -hmm. Okay. Harold Perkins will, I know you want to talk about some Harold Perkins. Always. He bursts onto the scene. November 12th is Harold Perkins day in the state of Arkansas. After what he Mm -hmm. did to the hogs. It is that's on. If that's not on the 2023 calendars, um, put them on, put it on there. I don't care who you're a fan of that needs to be on there. Why am I so excited about Harold Perkins? Greg McElroy told me all year that Perkins didn't even really know what he was doing yet. Mm-hmm. And he was already that good. So mm-hmm. by that logic, Perkins will actually know what he's doing next year. That's great. That seems positive. He's going to continue to get really, really good. Um, I say that tongue in cheek because if you ask me, we talked about this. Perkins' ability to pursue with his closing speed – it was second to none. And if you look at the bend that he would get rushing off the edge, mm-hmm. I, which he, you know, that's not necessarily his primary responsibility. He likes to be able to line up in the box. They had him as a spy. That was kind of the role that they figured out for him. I would say that he showed a lot of things to make us believe he knows what he's doing. Just mm-hmm. maybe that's a hot take. I, I don't know. If you want to say that LSU didn't really know what it was doing with Harold Perkins in the first part of the year, that I'm more on board with. I went back and I looked at the snap counts, Will. (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh, Yeah, the snap counts on PFF. Defensive snaps in the first seven games maxed at 32. That's that's not enough. That wasn't enough. Um, That was his only game, by the way. He had one game with 32 snaps in the first seven, and that was his only game with 30 snaps in that stretch. In games eight through 14, he didn't play less than 37 snaps and he played 50-plus snaps in five of those final seven games. Seems smart. Get your best players on the football field. Let them go after the quarterback. Great idea. Worked out really well for LSU for the most part. By the mm-hmm. way, no Power 5 inside linebacker had a better PFF pass rushing grade than Perkins. True freshman. That's unbelievable to do something like that. And it's not like he's just some sort of pass rushing specialist, right? Like he graded out above average against the run coverage grade. eh, Not so hot. That's probably not what you want him doing moving forward. That's okay. Not everybody does all three of those things at a super, super elite level. But obviously if the guy can spy like that in Mm -hmm. this era of mobile quarterbacks, the way that teams like to spread out, you're not seeing these bunch formations where court, where receivers and tight ends are lined up in line and they're blocking and you've got eight man protections or something like that like that seems very useful in this day and age it really does in that Mm -hmm. florida state opener guess what harold perkins didn't do will what did harold perkins not do i mean he didn't play very much yeah he didn't spy jordan travis yeah um you you know what he's gonna do in the florida state opener next year or i guess it's this year because it's 2023 Mm -hmm. I'm just throwing this out there. I think he's probably going to spy Jordan Travis this time. Maybe. 
Yeah, looking looking forward to LSU's schedule. I mean, that's going to be a really good matchup. I didn't even think about that, like the cat and mouse game between those two, um, because you're absolutely right. I mean, listing him as an inside linebacker is so correct. Um, and I think, not to derail you here, but I think you have a great read of the situation because, you know, let's say we took Patrick Willis or Ray Lewis when they were freshmen, and we were like, hey, how can we get you on a football field? Yeah, You could probably intuitively rush the passer pretty well. But if we stuck 18-year-old, even Ray Lewis, in coverage, it would probably be a liability, right? And so I think that the vision for him has always been, you know, in that development with Matt House, we're going to turn you into a complete linebacker, but we're going to get you out there the way you can. And one of the things that was really interesting to me is Brian Kelly talking about how he coaches him. He says, you know, the more information at this stage that we give Harold – somehow like the worst it gets because what he's doing is not he's he's doing it intuitively and so if you start to explain the why the harold perkins it starts it's, it kind of confuses him at this stage so at that point they were getting him out there saying hey here's your play go kill that guy and it was like water play it was like yeah. boom just kill arkansas that's it see ball get ball but you get a whole off season like you said with matt house you get a whole off season with these concepts where it's like well now we know you can rush the pasture that's a known commodity but what if we can get you to cover at that level and that unlocks something that is really hard to find at the college level? You know, I think even spying the way that he did is harder than just <laughs> rushing off the passer, beat a tackle, get position on him, get leverage. I think it's harder to do some of the things that he was doing because think about that moment of patience that you have to have. You can't over pursue that, right? If you <laughs> know, I've got this guy, he's rolling out. It's Malik Hornsby. He can make me look like an idiot. If I take the wrong angle on him, there's, there's a little bit more nuance to that. And he looks <laughs> like he already has that figured out. And I think that's that's such a unique weapon. Ask Florida what it's like to not have a guy that can do that. I mean, mm -hmm. like with all due respect to Ventro Miller, that's not necessarily his skill set. He was great at pursuit, but not having a guy that can bring down a quarterback in space like that and prevent a quarterback from turning the corner, man, it just hurts your defense. And LSU doesn't have to worry about that as long as that guy is on the field. So they might overload him with information sometimes, and they might, and that's not to say that he can't handle everything because your your knowledge of the sport expands but i do think that that's something that is is just very unique and it adds such a key element to that lsu defense and it's something i can't wait to see on display in that opener in orlando mm -hmm. sunday night against jordan travis two teams that in all likelihood preseason top 10 like that is a a fireworks matchup and it's going to it's the best individual matchup in my opinion of opening weekend i mean close mm -hmm. second being Spencer Rattler against the Gene Chiswick defense, you know, other Titans than that. Of industry. Yeah, I mean, and we have plenty of time to obviously talk about those matchups. But that, like I said, LSU is obviously playing Alabama. That's going to be the number one matchup. But number two, we're talking about two teams that could finish in the top 10 or even top five. And, and one more point I want to make about Harold Perkins. I know I said this a lot, but not a lot of people did. They're going to have Mason Smith next year, and yeah. there's your chaos creator. Yeah. And so Harold Perkins had to be the the chaos creator, the thing that would knock offenses off script. You're going to get that back in a guy that's going to command double teams in every snap. So then you can cause Harold Perkins to not only hang back and cover, but also shoot that A-gap next to Mason Smith. And it's like, oh, who do we block? It feels like we're going to be talking about those two guys so much that we're going to forget that LSU had to replace one of the better edge rushers in all of college football and BJ Ojolari. You know, mm -hmm. we're going to kind of forget about that because that feels like such a strength for LSU next year is their ability to be able to rush the passer. And if you can do that in this conference, you're going to have a chance week in, week out. You can win a way, you can win a game in a variety of ways. And I think LSU will be able to do that. Mm -hmm. All right, Will. 
You know I'm excited for this one. Oh, buddy, if you think you're excited. <laughs> the Bobby I'm stoked. The Bobby Petrino Jimbo Fisher experiment has begun. Mm-hmm. I, I've got a suggestion. Tell me what you think about this. Okay. There, there's a lot of money in Austin, Texas. There is. Um, and yes, I'm talking about Austin as in the Texas, the Texas Longhorns. One of those boosters needs to turn the Longhorn Network, which will be defunct by 2025. Um, one of those boosters who has a lot of money can make that an AM coach simulcast, right? Don't change anything on, on your guide or anything like that. It just switches over one day and you're like, oh, mm-hmm. wait. When did this channel become this? When did, um, what is it, ABC Family become Freeform? When did that happen? I don't know. Mm-hmm. When did the Longhorn Network become AM Coach Simulcast? I don't know. I don't care. I'd watch it. I'd watch it more. That's mm-hmm. recording every single possible show. We can have Jimbo at his ranches. We can have him on the sidelines. We can have him in practice. Just anything possible to capture his overall feeling of this new, very new, might I add, dynamic and a dynamic that's going to have Bobby Petrino involved. Uh, I mean, this is, this is going to be unique. It really is. I don't need to see the play calls or anything like that. And I know that's always the opposition to this all access stuff at the college level. Don't need, Mm -hmm. I I don't care. Okay. That doesn't matter. Like just don't show anything that's happening on the field that, that does not matter to me. Um, But I just need as much Petrino Jimbo footage as humanly possible. Like those guys I'm, hoping they're going to be on the sideline at the same time. If they're not, and if it's Petrino in the booth, Jimbo on the sidelines, that's not going to give us everything that we could hope for. Mm-hmm. But I still think that we're in for a few times this year in which at the very least, Jimbo either takes credit for Bobby Petrino's success or just throws him right under the bus. And we're all going to be like, yep, we saw this coming a mile away. I'm probably missing a Saban staff that has one of these in there, but most chaotic OCDC head coach tri- triumvirate. Do you um, say OCDC? Yeah, like o- offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, head coach. So you've that, got that Petrino. needs to be a thing. That needs to be a thing. I love that. OCDC OC. is the part because they are very paranoid as well, and we already yeah. have like you know everybody knows what ACDC is. Mm-hmm. So that that. OCDC needs to be a like a, a new part of the college football vernacular. We just we just slip that in because I, I feel like now I want to use that to describe See? and do a ranking of the best OCDCs in college football. There you go. So then, yeah, you got Petrino, you have Fisher, and then you have TJ Durkin. Oh. Three colorful dudes. Three dudes that have lots of long Wikipedia articles on all three of those guys. And the, the shots that are going to cut in on them are going to be wild because all of them are paid Lots of money. All of them have long histories and all of them. I think Jimbo is where he wants to be, but it could be said that either of the other two would like to kind of move on from there if they do it right. And so that's going to be a very, it's going to be like the real world in a way, like uh, three dudes are living under one roof. (laughs) If there's not enough footage of the Petrino Jimbo dynamic, just, just sprinkle in DJ Durkin showing horror movies to players while they eat (laughs) to motivate them. Um, there's, or we could just go back to when he did that at Maryland, but we don't need to talk (laughs) about that. Um, this dynamic has just all the fireworks potential in the world. It's very (laughs) rare to get something like this. The the obvious takeaway of course, is that Bobby Petrino is Jimbo Fisher's first ever offensive play caller. And that's an upgrade. Like that's, that's good. Okay. But it's just (laughs) always about so much more than that. And I don't mean that just in the sense that like Jimbo Petrino, 
could give us some sideline blowups similar to Saban Kiffin, similar to Mullen Grantham. That's kind of underrated. People forget about that and all the different mm-hmm. ways in which Mullen got just very angsty with, with Todd Grantham in those last couple of years. Florida fans remember it. Um, mm-hmm. If AM's offense is actually good though, if they're actually good, I mean like top 20 offense, that's, I'd say that's really good. That's really solid for AM. Let's just say top 40 because we all know where they're coming from and it hasn't exactly been a juggernaut the last couple of years. If they're even just top 40, mm-hmm. how is Jimbo going to handle that? I just don't know. I just don't know. And he, maybe he doesn't even know. I like there are certain moments in life in which it is really hard to give other people credit. Mm-hmm. It, it just is. And this could be a perfect case of that. And look, I'm not sitting here rooting against AM's offense. There, there's mm-hmm. a case to be made that the most entertaining result from all of this is AM putting up 40 points a game and Bobby Petrino is the story of the year in college football. That might actually be the most entertaining thing for sickos like us who want to see the most animated versions of these people. That mm-hmm. probably gives either that or Petrino just disaster first four weeks. They can't score. It's just looks like 2022 all over again, 2022 and 2021 looks like that all over again. Those are probably the most entertaining extremes that we could get, but you know, this dynamic is just going to be great. Like some, we're, we're going to get like some receiver who cut off the route because you know, he wasn't getting the ball and it's Jimbo and Petrino just turning every shade of red, getting in some kid's face. Like, this is going to be, you know, similar to what that that clip of Muschamp and and Saban that that keeps mm-hmm. going around with them at LSU, where they're just mm-hmm. like freaking out, they're losing their freaking minds. Everybody's like, "Oh yeah, nobody could tolerate this in this day and age, buddy." We might find out. <laughs> That's the thing; these guys don't live in this day and age. They, they live in whatever day and age they say it is. At this point, yeah, I will say this: like, this is the real sicko outcome. Because you're right; I'll give them credit. I will actually give them credit because for years. You could describe Texas A&M as mid. You could say this is Texas A eight and four. We know they're not going to be number one in the West. We know that they're going to be this very mid team that is going to kind of choke. This team is either going to be horrible or Bobby Petrino has a decently recent Heisman winner. People want to forget that. And whenever I watched that Louisville team with Lamar Jackson, I remember in like the Citrus Bowl, I was like, you know, if this team had some talent, they might actually be kind of good because it's just Lamar Jackson doing his thing out there. A&M has talent. So at the end of the day, if you could take that scheme, obviously Lamar Jackson is a one-of-one athlete. I'm not saying they're going to find another Lamar Jackson, but they have some dudes on that roster that are like really freaking good that were considered the top of their class. So they can optimize guys. I will give Bobby Petrino, as much as I hate to credit him, credit. That's but that that's also, too, an unknown in, in some ways. And by the way, A&M's offensive line – looks this upcoming year with what they return looks a whole lot better than any of the offensive lines Lamar had to work with at Louisville. Right. Those were, That's the thing. those were so Jimbo bad. can build O lines. What, what Lamar needed was an O line. Like, so that, that dynamic of Bobby Petrino with five-star kids for mm-hmm. the first time, probably in his career, at least at the rate that A&M has been recruiting them. Right. Because mm-hmm. go back and all Petrino stops wasn't exactly working with a whole lot of five-star guys. Do we even want to talk about the NFL stuff because his time with the Falcons was so unbelievably short? I would love to talk about that, but I don't yeah. think it fits here. 
yes. Saints fan. Let's let's pivot off of that one. But mm-hmm. that's going to be so interesting to see like how he's able to he's going to have to adapt in some way because he's considered the ultimate I'm not here to make friends coach and mm-hmm. you probably have to be to a little bit with all of that five-star talent. But yeah, I, I thought this hire would never happen. I did. I said, you know, the reports of the interview, I, I said that was just floated out there to gauge public mm-hmm. reaction. And maybe, maybe some of that was, but they ultimately d- decided that this was the best option that they had. But I am more excited than ever to watch AM's offense in 2023. Yeah. It's going like to be I great. said, for what, five years, we pretty much knew exactly how mid it was going to be. We knew it was going to be maddening. For this, we have no idea. I'm yes. pumped. Yes. All right. Let's stay in the SEC West. Will the thing I am excited to the thing I can't wait to see in 2023, Pete Golding rocking the powder blue at Ole Miss. How about this? Mm-hmm. This might be the best possible breakup that anyone could have hoped for. Um, mm-hmm. Two things could be true at the same time. If Alabama wanted to keep Pete Golding, Pete Golding would be at Alabama. Okay. Mm-hmm. D- don't get that twisted. That that is 100% the case. Mm-hmm. And also. This breakup might actually make both teams better with Pete Golding being the defensive coordinator for Lane Kiffin. I think it was best for Pete Golding to get a change of scenery. Mm-hmm. The guy was, ne- he was never, there was nothing he was going to be able to do outside of having the number one defense in college football for an Alabama team that wins a national championship. That is probably the only thing he could have done to get himself out of punching bag status at that place. I mean, mm-hmm. Really, like the DUI didn't help and it just made that situation worse, but it probably also didn't help that Bama's last great defense was 2017 and he started in 2018. Mm -hmm. I could I could kind of poke some holes in that and say teams like Georgia and LSU with elite talent kind of modernized their offenses and that might have had something to do with that. And but whatever, that's Alabama fans who don't like Pete Golding don't want to hear that explanation necessarily to defend him, nonetheless. Will, can you picture what Kiffin's vetting of Pete Golding was like with Saban? <laughs> Top five bars in Oxford. Saban, Good. Saban probably that conversation is like, yeah, Pete, Pete's the best, man. Like our middle linebackers totally know what they're doing at all times. Communication's been mm-hmm. great. We maximize all of these great players. Our, 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 I mean, if you if you can get them, good luck, but I don't know. We're pretty committed to him. So, right. Don't listen. Don't twist my wrist here, buddy, because we really like this guy. Send him one of those NFL draft graphics. It's like, look at all these players he's had drafted. You, okay. I'm glad you asked that because I did the NFL draft breakdown for defensive players for the four years before Pete Golding got to Alabama versus the four years that we can actually, at this juncture before the 2023 draft, say, all right, these were guys who played on Pete Golding's defense. So, Bama, mm-hmm. defensive players drafted from 2015 to 2018. 21 defensive players drafted from 2019 to 2022 15 eh, terrible wasn't some drastic fall off probably not something he's putting on his resume this is definitely not getting on the peak golding resume um in the 10 seasons before he arrived at alabama bama never finished worse than seventh in scoring defense in the last five years with peak golding on alabama staff bama never cracked the top seven once Mm. tough to talk your way out of that one if you're Pete Golding, but that's not the standard at Ole Miss. 
top seven right. defenses? No, who cares? They're just trying to have a top 50 defense for the first time since 2015. All right. They'll take what they can get. Beggars can't be choosers. Kiffin would like a little bit of stability, probably. Golding outside of the Alabama bubble is going to be really, really interesting. I can just close my eyes. I know I already made a reference to Greg McElroy. I'll make one more. Um, mm-hmm. I can just close my eyes and picture him on the call with with Joe Tess and our friend Katie George. And he's just talking about Pete Golding's redemption during some noon ESPN game with Ole Miss in late September. And it's like, Ole Miss gets off to this great start. And it's like, yeah, have we really seen them get through the meat of the SEC schedule just yet? Uh, not really. But this could work for all parties. It's possible. Mm-hmm. Bama needs a new defensive coordinator. Candidates? Very interesting. Charlie Strong, Jeremy Pruitt, the guy I would like probably even more than those two, Jim Leonard from Wisconsin. Oh, man, don't let them get Jim Leonard. That dude's used to coaching up those three-star white boys. If you put it with that Alabama talent, dude, it's going to be over. I love Jim Leonard. How many times did LSU try and get Jim Leonard? So many. <laughs> it All never times, man. Like, and the wait, fact we... that he didn't end up with that job is so – it's dumb to me because he was clearly kind of like hanging out. And obviously, like the thing about Fickle is like – seemed like he was waiting for the Ohio State job, so it was kind of like this musical chairs. I get it. But Jim Leonard is so underrated as a DC. If they get him, dude, it's going to be tough. I like Jim Leonard a lot. I think he knows yeah. what he's doing. That'd be that'd be that'd be a huge, huge win for Bama if he could do if he could pull off something like that. Um, the other name that's been floated out there as well, of course, Glenn Schumann. I'd be surprised if he left Georgia for Bama when it's not like he'd be going there to have total autonomy. And obviously, mm-hmm. Kirby Smart, they're they're not lacking resources to keep him. Okay. Yeah. They will make it worth his while to stick around. This isn't And if you're talking about, oh, we've seen guys cross enemy lines in recent memory, this isn't a Jermaine Burton situation, okay? This is a little little bit different. He's doing great, I think. But who knows? Crazier things have happened. Maybe Saban gets his payback for Scott Cochran. Who knows? We'll see. Yeah, I think just real quick on that, I think you're right on several accounts. It's it's a great breakup. I mean, I think that Golding – Think about Golding is he's still 38 years old. You know, that's the thing. Like he's he just a guy turned 39. That, yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. Um, yeah. It's his, his birthday is February 8th. It, either way, he's very, he's around that age. And he, so he's a guy that probably should have gotten another job or two before he got a job like Alabama. Obviously, Saban saw something in him. Obviously, Saban thought he was a great defensive mind. I'm not going to say whether that's true or not. But today, he's 38 years old. I mean, every, there are some great DCs. You know, Jim Leonard's a guy we talked about, started young, was a former player. Marcus Freeman obviously did a lot, but. A lot of guys, especially on the defensive side of the ball, take some time to kind of mature and figure out when to send pressure, when to do those kinds of things. So I don't think he's like this bum. I just think that Saban kind of could have gotten a better guy. And I think that was Saban maybe trusting himself a little bit too much because that's the best job, you know, one of the best jobs in college football and all of football is Saban's DC because of the talent you get to work with. You get to work directly with Nick Saban and that obviously that recommendation is written in gold. So I, I don't, I'm not totally out on him and I could see him succeeding at a place like Ole Miss is where I'm going with that. I think that to your point though, the, the image that we have of him isn't totally accurate because he just got that job at a weird point in his career. Whereas you talk about all those guys that are available. It's like, yeah, give that job to one of those guys. And I pretty much know how it's going to go. So it's how it's been the entire time outside of this four years. So yeah, I would just say it's, it's a great break for both of them. And I mean, Kiffin obviously understands getting a little bit too much responsibility, a little bit too early. So I don't think we've seen the last of Pete Golding. I don't think he's some bum like Bama fans would have you believe, but I do think he did get that job a little bit too early. I think it's fair to say that now. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's also fair. I mean, think about when he got if he see what he got when he was like mid thirty, like 33, 34? Did he get his did he get that job when he was thirty four? Yeah, like, gosh, I mean, that's yeah. And he was the UTSA 
you have DC CB's coach. So it's not like he was like even at like a Wisconsin or like a Purdue. It was like Saban just grabbed him and we're like, this guy's the new wonderkind. He's he's, Saban thinks he's a genius. So I think the expectations were a little bit unfair regardless. And the expectation should not be that you're going to get Kirby Smart as your defensive coordinator. Right. That situation at Bama and the, and the way that that helped the first part of the Bama dynasty. And this isn't my, mm-hmm. some are going to interpret this as me saying that Bama can't win and can't have a great defense without Kirby Smart. I'll disagree with, with Feinbaum on that one. I think Bama can still have a great defense, even if it isn't Kirby Smart leading that defense. But that's not the expectation. You're not supposed to have coordinators that long. Kirby at that stage in his life, at that stage of his career, decided this was the best path for me. And ultimately mm-hmm. it was. I think we can all say that, but that's not the expectation. I think Bama goes into this with a little bit of a different approach. I'd be surprised if they if they went that similar route, like going, oh, we're going to try and find the diamond in the rough. I think they're going to go with somebody that's a little bit more established and has a little bit more experience coaching at this level. Yeah, and, and Pruitt too, I think, is underrated in this whole thing because the the job he did at FSU and at Bama is like so, in my opinion, underrated because all of those defenses were smash mouth. They were great defenses. He, of course, came from the great Hoover U. Who would have forgot? Go books. But you know, I think that again, he might have gotten a job at Tennessee that was a little bit above his head. Maybe he, he's probably not done. He's got to lay low for a minute, <laughs> like they said in Anchorman, lay low for a minute. All right, that's what he needs to do. So maybe that reunion worked too. I think all the options are good for Alabama. Rush Probst. He available? What's what's he up to? <laughs> Listen, he's very unavailable. He is doing his thing in Georgia. We need to keep him keep him away from the bit the limelight. Gosh knows yeah. what he's gonna do. Speaking of Valdosta, yeah, uh, Kirby Smart reference there. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, other thing that I can't wait to see in twenty twenty three: new starting quarterbacks for the SEC's top three offenses. I'm not just picking up top three offenses out of nowhere. I'm saying that from a scoring perspective, those were Bama, Georgia, and Tennessee all have very different quarterback situations, all have a lot of intrigue for their own reasons. Bazooka Joe, most experienced of anybody currently in those quarterback battles, obviously we're excited very much to see if the 2023 version of Bazooka Joe can actually keep the football in the stadium. Mm -hmm. There's no guarantee of that, but Bigger guarantee and the more likely thing is that Josh Heupel is going to have another top eight offense. That's what he's done each of the last five years. That has become a lock. I think Bama has probably the biggest uphill climb given the surroundings. And that's a weird thing to say. That's a really weird thing to say. We don't know as of this moment the status of Bill O'Brien, if he's going to be the OC. If he's not, my guess would still be that he's not going to be. So if he's not going to be, then you're likely talking about a new play caller coming in. Um, That's also with a pretty unproven group of receivers and you're following in the footsteps of not just Bryce Young, but Mac Jones and Tua and Jalen and good luck because man, that is suddenly Oklahoma and Bama quarterback situations. That is suddenly a, wow, you can get benched in a hurry because everybody is always going to think there's another better option there. And there Mm -hmm. maybe there is, and maybe there isn't on that team. History suggests there is always a better option on that Alabama roster, but yeah, we won't know they've been pulling a guy ever not worked <laughs> because, you know, they pulled Barnett for Jalen, pulled Jalen for Tua. And then uh, there was no pulling of Tua. Obviously Mac just kind of came in and spelled him, but it seems like all the options might just be good. <laughs> yeah. Everything might just work. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it just might be when it doesn't work. It, it, it's only a matter of time before it does work. That's what the Alabama offense has really been throughout the playoff era. Mm-hmm. We don't know if that's going to be Jalen Milrow or Ty Simpson. I really don't know because like, even though Milrow is the one who got those reps, I again just don't think that he has showed 
a ton as a passer to convince you that he is the unquestioned starter. Unlike when Mac took over at the end of 2019 after Tua goes down and Mac, with the exception of a few plays here and there, he'd like to have those two pick sixes back against Auburn. I thought Mm -hmm. Mac really solidified himself. And by the end of camp, it was like, yep, Mac's going to be the guy. And this maybe is a, a gap year for Bryce Young, but nonetheless, He's going to be given all the keys to run this offense, which we knew had explosive playmakers coming back with Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith. Georgia, this is such an ideal situation, Will. Like all-time great circumstances that you are surrounded by, okay? If Munkin stays, which I'm guessing he's going to because all the FBS head coaching gigs as of this moment are taken up and going back to the NFL to be an OC after he was squeezed out for that situation with Freddie Kitchens in Cleveland, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me unless that's something that he really feels like an itch that he still needs to scratch. Okay, Mm -hmm. that can happen. Won't rule that out. Maybe he hates recruiting. Maybe he's sick of this entire thing. And he's like, all right, I'm going to the bigger and better opportunity. We don't know. I'd be surprised if that happened. If he stays, Georgia's got Carson Beck in year four in that offense, or you've got Brock, Brock, Brock Bowers, you've got Brock Vandegrift in year three, you've got Gunnar Stockton in year two of the Munkin offense. I don't expect all three guys to be on the roster when Georgia kicks off the year against UT Martin, but that's kind of irrelevant, right? Mm-hmm. You're replacing a legend in Stetson Bennett, well-documented legend, but Georgia's pass catchers, scary. Scary. This is the best that they have been. I think it like I'd have to go back if I, to really dig into it and say ever, but without a doubt, it's the best, deepest group in the 21st century. Like I, I'm that's not hyperbole. Seriously, think about this. Mm-hmm. You've got Bowers, you've got a full season of AD Mitchell in mm-hmm. theory, as long as he stays healthy. That's what we're projecting. Lad McConkey, who say what you want about Lad, guy was still second team all SEC. All right. We, we think what we do about those two guys, but what they did in the portal to add depth there, Rara Thomas from Mississippi State, Dominic mm. Lovett from Mizzou. Mm-hmm. Both of those guys were in the top 15 in the SEC in receiving yards per game. Lovett was the highest graded SEC receiver by PFF. Okay, This guy is a great route runner. He's somebody that comes into this situation as a proven guy, and it'll be about how he can develop that rapport and how he fits into this offense. You know your offensive line is going to be great, so you're looking down. Like you're not necessarily looking down the entire time, right? That's what we talk about mm-hmm. with some of these inexperienced quarterbacks. You're looking at your feet, you're sensing pressure. That's not necessarily there at Georgia. You shouldn't necessarily have to worry about that. You're going to have stud running backs, even though I love Kenny McIntosh. And I will say at least at one point next year, man, I think the Georgia offense just needs that Kenny McIntosh. They don't necessarily have the guy who did all the things that he did. That guy was great, but the good news, you know, your offensive play caller is going to set you up in some great spots. He's going to. That's what Munkin does. I'm not trying to take credit away from Stetson by saying that. He's going to ask a lot of you. That's what Munkin does. But, man, we've seen the rewards. and They are really, really good. When that guy gets going, it is fun to watch. It's really interesting to think about if we're able to jump into one of these situations to, to replace a legend, which, you know, you can make the case. Bryce Young, uh, college football legend. I, I don't know that we're – were necessarily he's immortalized of course by winning the Heisman but mm-hmm. a legend in his own way that's in a legend in his own way and Hendon Hooker legend in his own way bringing mm-hmm. Tennessee back I think replacing those three guys if I had to just step in there and I'm a former four-star guy former five-star guy Georgia all day all day
You'd go Tennessee, mm-hmm. wouldn't you? Gosh, no, that's a really good one, man. Because I started like scrolling to see the guys that Green played with because I know that you know they had had some dudes, you know. But when you start talking to Ron Thomas, love it. Those guys in addition, to Robert, I kind of, I kind of stopped scrolling because I was like, well, now we're talking about two positions. Now we're talking about running backs because Marino was obviously a great pass catcher as well, but that's not, that's not really Brock Bowers as a non-wide receiver is just completely on his own. So yeah, I you're you're right, and but see, it just depends on what your goal is. I know it sounds like a cop out, but it's like if your goal is winning, you obviously want to go to Georgia. If you're trying to have fun and potentially increase your draft stock, Tennessee is where you want to go. We've seen some dudes in that offense. Shout out Drew Locke. Look like the best quarterback in the history of football for like three games. And so point being like, I, I think there's not a bad place to go. And 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 the thing about Bill O'Brien is he might not be there. You know, I hope he stays because I don't know as an LSU fan if I could handle replacing those two coordinators at the same time and going back into my chamber of horror. Now knowing that Georgia is equally hard to beat, if you come back with like a Dan Mullen Jeremy Pruitt tandem at Alabama. I might just be like, you know what? This citrus pole looking mighty fine. <laughs> but point being, we the point being, it does matter that it was relevant because, you know, obviously that's a step below as long as Bill O'Brien's there. But if he's not, suddenly you're looking at Alabama a little bit differently. And so I, I do think that, yeah, I would put probably Georgia number one in terms of like ease and number two, probably be Tennessee. Yeah, the pass catchers. That that's changed. That that's mm-hmm. changed. I, I I think Georgia fans very often hype up unproven guys, and they so want this guy to be that breakthrough player in in the passing game. But mm-hmm. I am now at a place with them where I'm like, oh, this dude's awesome. Oh, this dude's oh, you can do that. the the amount of versatility they're going to be able to have because of how they can throw the football and how good that offensive line still figures to be. Obviously, they lost a lot of key pieces on that offensive line. Um, that, that to me is just such an ideal situation as long as Munkin is coming back again. That's the key caveat that I want to make mm-hmm. sure that's no, that's another good point because they could, you know, not to dump on anybody's parade, but Munkin has been a breath of fresh air. Kirby's known to be a little bit more conservative. So if he leaves, it might be like a, maybe we're a little bit more old school. It's like, no, 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 no. We don't need to do that here. We need no. to keep having fun. It's keep having fun. That would be the new standard. That right. would, much like Kiffin had said, all right, like Saban, Saban said to every OC after that, this is our offense. This is what we're running. You can put your tweaks in Sark, O'Brien, Brian. O'Brien's Dable. a step back from Kiffin. That's what I'm saying. That Kiffin style is still better than Bill O'Brien. So even that much of a step back, you see what I'm saying? You yeah, just never yeah. know. These defensive yeah. coaches, they don't like to have fun. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I think Kirby had some fun these last few years with Munkin as his oh, OC. Yeah. I can tell you that. Oh, okay. yeah. Other thing that I can't wait to see in 2023, the backs that are back. We're not going to, we're not going to say return of the back. We can't say that. I beat that to death two years ago. We're going to avoid that. I was wondering about this. When was the last time that the SEC returned multiple 1400 yard backs? Because that's what Rocket and Judkins are. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then I realized something. The SEC hasn't returned a single 1400 yard back since Leonard Fournette. So that's something. Mm -hmm. 2016, the last time that the SEC had multiple returning 1,400-yard rushers, because technically Chubb was a former 1,400-yard back, but that happened in 2014, so it wasn't the previous season. He, of course, had the ACL 2015. Um, But Mm -hmm. in terms of returning two guys who rushed for 1,400 yards the previous season, SEC's never had that. This is the first Mm -hmm. time. That's 
wild to think about. Think of all the great backs that have come through this conference. And that's why we are, we're so excited talking about Rock, Rocket and Judkins. Um, they'll be talked about a lot. They, they just will. Can't be a ton of guys ahead of them nationally outside of Blake Corum, maybe. Like that's mm-hmm. the list is really, really short. Um, Carson Steele, he's going to get a whole lot of love going from Ball State to UCLA. He's, yeah, Carson Steele. Look that one up. Google yeah, that one. I bet you'll name you just made up. <laughs> no, no. Google Carson Steele, kids. Uh, stud. And Zach Charbonnet just declared for the NFL draft. But so he'll be on kind of like the, he'll be like the, don't be surprised if this guy's a Heisman candidate type thing. There'll be mm-hmm. that sort of narrative. Because UCLA quietly has had a really good rushing offense with Chip Kelly. We don't need to get into the weeds with that. But Judkins, Rocket, top four backs in college football, uh, and if they're outside of that group, I you're, I think you're just telling on yourself that you haven't really watched them play yet. Um, it's in terms of the the hierarchy of backs, it's relatively top heavy, I, I would say, just in terms of proven backs in the SEC. But at the same time, I was also kind of looking through, and I'm like, wait, but I, I really like Trevor Etienne. I love Jarquez Hunter, Dejan Edwards, Ray Davis, quietly coming off a thousand yard season. He's going from Vandy to Kentucky, that Tennessee backfield with Jalen Wright, Jabari small. If you combine them into one player in 2022, we're talking about a backfield that would have had 1600 yards and 23 touchdowns. That doesn't even include Dylan Sampson. Who's a guy that they're really high on. Joe Milton's going to run for a bunch of yards. Probably that dynamic right there kind of has some 2021 old Miss vibes with mm-hmm. Ely, Snoop. Uh, we love Snoop. God, I miss Snoop Connor. He was great. Yeah. He was so fun to watch. Henry Parrish, you have Matt Corral. I, that, that offense, well, the way that they could run the football with Lane in 2021 was a little bit unique. I'm not saying Tennessee's guaranteed to have something like that, but they definitely could. That is the beauty of these up-tempo, run-heavy, spread offenses in the SEC. No Power 5 team ran the ball more than Ole Miss and Arkansas last year. Tennessee loves mm-hmm. up-tempo. Georgia loves doing that now, too. A lot of dynamic ground attacks that we have in the SEC. Probably going to get some superstars to break through from those specific groups just with their, their style and their scheme. It kind of yields it. I will, again, do my best to not say return of the back. But it is. Yes. No, you're really making me like think here because, like you said, you know, there's a couple you look at. Uh, Judkins is very interesting because he is both proven guy and young guy, and when those mm. things like coalesce, it's great. Because talking about another young guy, ET, I know you like mentioned him briefly, but you know, obviously, <laughs> Graham Mertz is not the dual threat that Anthony Richardson is. We're not breaking any news there. However, that means you got to give more carries to ET. And finally, one would think, one would Florida think. finally might give the ball to the correct player. They kind of have no other option now. So I'm actually very excited about him as like a sleeper. And then, you know, Jaden Daniels, Emory Jones coming back. Or not Emory Jones. Um, John Emory. Duh. Uh, Emory Jones also coming back. But uh, John Emory coming back for LSU and kind of their two-headed rushing attack. So, like, the way that guys run the ball, I mean, and also, um, you know, just Auburn's rushing attack from last year is missing some pieces, obviously. But they have the personnel that they know how to block for it. They know. So there are a lot of, like, like things that happened last year that will carry over, even if the players aren't the same, or even if they didn't have high numbers, because there are some really like quietly prolific rushing offenses in the SEC. Like Auburn was third in rush yards per game. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think they'll totally abandon that and just be trash at running the ball. Not they have a better OC. So you just never really know. Great, great rushing attacks coming back. That's that's mm-hmm. going to be an overwhelming thought. The more people kind of dig into this, I think we're really going to see some of these backfields explode. And we're going to, it's it's different than what it was in the middle part of the 2010s, whereas t- like 2015 was 
such a great year for SEC running backs. And I don't know that it's going to get back to that level because there is a little bit more of a committee feel at some mm-hmm. of these places, but it does feel like we're about to see some great ground games in this conference. Let me ask you one more ground game question. Yeah. Um, How do we feel about Liam Cohen in Kentucky? Now, last year they were 13th, believe it or not, despite C-Rod. Do you think that Liam Cohen Cohen kind of brings that more to the middle and we see some of those young guys shine? I like Ray Davis, as I just said. Mm -hmm. But until their offensive line improves, I don't think that's a given. Mm -hmm. You can can scheme a lot, okay? That's not necessarily something – that we're going to see Devin Leary bring to the table in the same way that Will Levis did. That that right. part, if you're expecting to see quarterback runs in the way that we saw with the 2021 Kentucky offense, I would say that's not really right. what he's going to be brought in there to do. But there does feel like a better chance of success running the football in terms of not necessarily dependent on one guy, right? Mm-hmm. It felt like C-Rod was the only guy who could run behind that terrible Kentucky offensive line. And it Mm -hmm. was, if he doesn't hit a guy head on and push him back three yards, it was going to be a tackle for a loss. Like that was the Kentucky ground game next year. I think they will be a little bit more versatile. They have to be better up front. They can't be as bad as they were this past year. It was a train wreck. And that was something that we talk about in the interview here in a second here with Liam Cohen was like, Scheming when you know your offensive line sucks. Good luck. Good yeah. luck, man. I, it is really, really difficult to be able to do that. So, yeah, I mean, I think I would Ray Davis is going to get that love coming into the year. Um, and then I think their committee will have more success. That's my way of answering that. But I don't think Ray Davis suddenly steps in and does all the things that C-Rod did. Of course, he was so, I hate to say underrated, but coming out, he almost is because we kind of saw that a little bit more in 2021. But yes, I just wanted to give some love to Kentucky because usually they were, we're used to seeing them in that top three or four in their way down there. So they could be, should be a riser. 13, you're going to rise from 13. <laughs> C-Rod, Benny Snell, and uh, this isn't a Kentucky back, but Snoop Connor. That might be my th- three favorite. I love Najee too. Najee at his peak was oh, so great. Man, he was fun, man. Those those guys might be like my favorite backs of of recent memory that we've seen in this conference. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of guys are gonna are gonna add to it. I, Tank would have been there if Tank would have been in a better situation. Yeah. You know, he would have, but eh, just didn't get into that ideal situation until the final month of his college career. Too bad. Mm-hmm. Too bad. Okay. Anything I missed? Anything besides KJ returning? We're going to talk a lot about KJ. I didn't need to mention KJ here. Everybody knows I'm excited about KJ coming back. But Mm -hmm. other than that, I think we're good. No, yeah. Just quick on KJ. That uh, I guess if you're a KJ hater, what are you doing, man? He's a fun dude. But yeah, I think that we're at a very, very, very interesting point transitionally for the SEC because a lot of offenses are objectively working. And people are still trying to get better. Alabama is still trying to get better. Talking about the OC hire. Talking about Kentucky. You know, so it's just very interesting in that this the arms race has now gone fully to the offensive side of the ball because guys like Hypel have shown you, oh, maybe you don't need to have the talent. So I think that, you know, the transfer portal is going to be, you know, as an SEC fan, if you're upset about the transfer portal, you got to realize that you are the upper 5% that is really benefiting from it. So we're going to see this era until they get that figured out, which, hey, let's not give the NCAA too much credit here. Over the next couple of years, we're going to see this influx of guys. You know, we talk about Juice Wells, influx of guys coming in that's just like, who is, oh, okay. You made me realize I should have included Tennessee before when I talked about all of Bama's uh, like teams, teams that Bama is on the same level with in terms of like yearly competition, I'm not saying that Georgia and LSU were on Bama's level throughout the last 15 years. That's not what I'm saying, but teams mm-hmm. that Bama would, would see in big time scenarios, Tennessee, one of those teams that also modernized their offense as well. Mm-hmm. Putting up 50 you would sure points. see Alabama in big scenarios. 
where it went from there, buddy. <laughs> anyway, Bama's about to open up a can on the rest of college football. Everybody knows that at this point. This Can is, this is where just the enjoy is. his time on his boat? Does he have to come whoop us again? I've seen it. I don't need to see it again. Anyway, <laughs> you're ready for it. All yeah. right, before we kick it to Liam Cohen, quick word from our friends at Underdog as we talk about each and every pod. Sports betting, lot not legal in a lot of states in the SEC, Georgia, Alabama, Florida, South Carolina. Um, I want to talk to you about underdog fantasy because this is something that you can do in those states. You might have tried daily fantasy in the past, but underdog is a new platform that's extremely popular right now. They have some awesome college football contests and NFL contests where you can compete for real money. It's a great way to scratch that sports betting itch. We have an exclusive arrangement right now with underdog. If you go to saturdaydownsouth.com slash underdog, you can automatically double your deposit when you join. Just sign up, throw in 50 bucks. They'll throw in 50 more dollars. It's a great way to get some money to play on these contests. Every week you can pick higher or lower for different players. Pretty similar to sports betting player props. You can put real money on the line. Like I said, legal and live in all these states, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Texas, et cetera. You can do this anywhere. So some picks for the NFL playoffs. Let's go with some SEC receivers. Well, former mm-hmm. SEC receivers. Christian Kirk. Jags are hot. Um, I don't think that I don't think that, that offense is about to cool down against Kansas City just because Kansas City has really struggled on the back end. And if they don't get home. Uh, that could be a that could be a one of those back and forth shootout type games, which that's going to come back to bite me. Um, but I'm going to take the over for Christian Kirk's receiving yards, which are 61 and a half. Mm-hmm. Love me some Christian Kirk. I feel like I've mentioned him like four times in this. And then let's go with your boy. Let's go with Jamar Chase. Mm-hmm. Over 84 and a half receiving yards at Buffalo. Buffalo's secondary has issues right now. Issues. Um, big time depth. And I know Kyrie Elam is getting some significant minutes there. He hasn't necessarily had the rookie season he was hoping for, but mm-hmm. that feels, and am I missing something there? That, that feels a little bit too easy. Yeah. It just, I do consider this to be a little bit of a rock fight. The thing that you might be missing is that their offensive line just continues to get banged up and True. it's horrible. And so talking about scheming behind a good offensive line, you love the Burrow chase connection, but you hate the fact that there's a dude in Burrow's face every time he throws the ball. So I could, I feel a lot better about the Kirk one, but I could, you know, two plays and chases there. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Gosh, he's so freaking good. He's amazing. Yeah. It was fun to be able to watch him for a little bit. I haven't had a whole lot of time to watch a Bengals game during the regular season, but man, God, this guy's just absolutely ridiculous. Like mm-hmm. I said, underdog, awesome, super fun to do while you're watching these NFL playoff games or, or any other sport in your living room. You can win real money. Go to saturdaydownsouth.com slash underdog. Take advantage of our promo where underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. $100 absolutely free. Saturdaydownsouth.com slash underdog. All right, here's Liam. Now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is the offensive coordinator who shares the closest resemblance to yours truly. It is Liam Cohen. Uh, let's start right there. When I saw you in person, uh, October of 2021, I think we at least looked like cousins. I- I've added a little gray <laughs> to my beard since then. Do we look more or less like now than we did a little over a year ago? I think a little bit more. If you're graying in the beard and I'm getting a little gray up top, I mean, we can blend that in a little bit and uh, I think, I mean, there's a couple of pictures I remember of me when I had my beard going last year. I, I think it would probably be a little bit of a closer resemblance, but uh, yeah, man, I think we definitely could be distant cousins, maybe once removed, whatever have you, but I appreciate you having me on again, bro. <laughs> it is, it is stunning to to see kind of when we, when we first walked in that very first time, I was like, this, 
that's kind of weird. Like we did the family lineage thing like that. Honestly. Uh, yeah, but okay. So you, uh, we got to start with the fact that you're you're still in LA right now. You're going to be going through the moving process, all that. You were in my, by my count, you were the very first person to ever move from LA to Lexington, back to LA, and then back to Lexington. What pushed you to say yes? I'm coming back to Kentucky. Yeah, I definitely. Um, probably didn't expect this to be happening. Um, you know, a year ago when we decided to come here. Um, but I think at the end of the day, um, I missed, I missed like, we miss Lexington. We miss college football. Um, the, you know, the recruiting and all those type of things that most NFL coaches don't really want to get back involved with. Uh, trust me, it's a little crazy right now anyways, but I miss the relationships. We miss the impact that we could potentially have on, you know, 18 to 22 year old kids lives, um, you know, having the players over for dinner, um, you know, them, I guess, quote unquote, needing you a little bit more to help them throughout their life journey. Um, very close with, you know, Matthew Stafford, great player, good friend of mine. Now at this point, he doesn't need me really, you know, I mean, he's doing just fine. Um, you know, and, and, but I, and we missed that. Both my parents were teachers. Dad was a football coach missed kind of the ways that you could impact people's lives. And, um, ultimately that was what kind of drew us to come back to college football. There was this fear that if, uh, the Rams had won that Thursday night game with, with Baker, that you weren't going to be coming back to Lexington. Like that was this weird thing that was going on. And, and so when that happened, you know, Kentucky fans were were devastated at the time, only to find out the next day via the, the Chris Mortensen tweet that that you were expected to come back. But it's awkward because like you're not you're not going to burn bridges and, and just leave midseason in the NFL. Was it still awkward? Or if you really can't answer kind of the logistics of what went into that. How much did you flex uh, about that comeback with Baker with when he just shows up like a day earlier? Tell yeah. Um, I had um, not mentioned it to him until when the report came out that was like out of nowhere. Not really sure how that came out at that time, but um, you know, I just said let him know, hey, look, dude, you know, I may or might may not be leaving because at that point, you know, we were still kind of working through some things. Um, and I just say, hey, like, I may or may not be here um, next year, but I am. What I want you to know is um, extremely committed to these next five weeks of helping you and helping this offense and helping this team as much as I can. Um, and ultimately, I said, Baker, like, I want you to get paid. You know, I want you to get paid somewhere. And um, I want to be a help be a part of, you know, your development and um, and help you out as much as I can. And I'll go. And and that was consistent. I think if you'd ask those guys, it's not like I was, you know, not in meetings or not doing something to go recruit or do something that was Kentucky involved. I truly um, wanted to finish. You know, it was different than the last time. The last time I was the assistant quarterbacks coach. I could slide away and do some work with Kentucky um, when necessary. Uh, very different in the role that I was in here. When you're, you know, installing in the meetings, you're very much, um, you know, with the game plan, the specifics, the details, the organization. I could not really do two jobs. 
So when I had time in the morning, things like that, but uh, I was pretty, you know, that was, that was an unbelievable experience doing that with Baker and, and doing that with this, the coaching staff and, and team. So, uh, but he, I was upfront and honest with those guys from the beginning. Obviously your time is consumed by all things Rams, just like you're talking about all the prep that goes into it this year. But I imagine you kind of kept tabs on Kentucky. So many of the guys that you coached, you know, and you're, you're trying to see what exactly their next step is, but you know, you, you guys got, you guys kind of went through similar issues in a way with what the Rams had to deal with and what Kentucky had to deal with, with the offensive line stuff, all the depth there, the injuries. And based on what you watched this year, what you've been able to kind of um, assess from your vantage point, what was your takeaway watching this Kentucky offense? There were some definite parallels throughout the year in terms of some of the issues uh, frustrations, you know, I, I would text the guys, some of the coaches or coach Stoops and just, you know, we were always kind of, uh, in contact, just wishing each other luck or, you know, a little bit of support throughout the time, you know, the tough year that we both had. Um, I was able, like you said, able to keep tabs a little bit. I, I hadn't, I wasn't really able to watch a ton of the games throughout the year. Um, you know, if a game was on TV and we weren't, uh, traveling on a Saturday or um, if I wasn't chasing my kid around the house, uh, I was able to take a look at it. And, you know, it, it was, uh, you know, it, it's a tough year anytime. Um, you know, I put him in a tough spot with the time in which I left, which then just kind of trickles into, um, you know, different system, you know, different terminology, um, it, it was difficult to, to watch at times in terms of like you get frustrated uh, watching it because you want to try to help and you wish you could help. Uh, and you felt I felt guilty at times. Um, but, you know, knowing that I wouldn't have made the decision any different, um, looking back on it, even after it not really working out in both places. Um, but you still you were able to see some of the athleticism from from some of the young skill players, um, you know, Obviously, first and foremost, you know, we need to run the football better and we need to protect the quarterback. And those are the two things that ultimately, you know, we need to get worked on um, as soon as we get there. Um, and the staff's in alignment with that. I'm sure the players will be as well because um, I think they know we're not that far off. You know, I think that they know, we, you know, we're coming off a 10. We had a 10-win 10, 10 season, some, did some good things offensively two years ago. Well, the standard ultimately dropped and, and we fell short of that. And we're all a part of it. Players, coaches, everybody's a part of that. And the reason why it doesn't matter. It's just how do we get it fixed? Um, so wasn't it? Um, I've been diving into over the last week since being off. I've been able to watch all of the games a little bit closer. I've watched practice. I've watched bowl prep practice. Um, and uh Needless to say, you know, it's it's there's room for improvement. And um, that's why you ultimately coach. OK, this is going to be a really dumb observation. It sounds so basic, but it's something that's easy to lose track of in this day and age of high flying, passing offenses, all these things. It seems like offensive game planning sucks when everybody knows that your offensive line is a weakness. And that's what it felt like with Kentucky this year and dealing with that. I know you have your fair share of issues with the Rams dealing with that. But how much how much does that really factor into to everything when you know, like, all right, you, you got to dial up some things knowing that that's that's going to be an Achilles heel. And there's really not a whole lot you can do to really kind of make up for that. 
extremely frustrating um, because all right, you, you start to game plan against coverage, right? And you're like, oh, this pat, this concept is great against this coverage. It, it could be a touchdown. It could be a big play, but you know it's going to work, right? Or you feel good about it working. But then you're like, well, shoot, how can we protect it? How can we get the ball out of our hands in order for it to work? Um, so you really have to start. It, it all starts there. I think everybody understands that um, both at Kentucky and L.A., you know, we're not living in a spread out, you know, high flying um, tempo, tempo offense in which sometimes you can. Um, I don't want to say hide the offensive line, but you can protect them a little bit more um, with doing some different things when the ball is coming out of your hands super quick, right? Well, you know, Kentucky and us in L.A. is a pro-style offense, if you will. Um, the offensive line needs to be good. And it needs you need to have confidence um, in order for it to work. So, um, yes, you have to pivot. All right, hey, how do we move the pocket a little bit more? How do we move the launch point? How do we do more quick game? How do we run more screens? What run plays can we ultimately execute the best? Not maybe what we might like the best. You know, at the end, when it comes down to struggles, injuries, or issues up front, it no longer becomes about the scheme. It more so becomes about well, what can they execute? What can we have confidence in trimming the inventory? Because adding is not the answer. Um, trimming, okay, all right, we're better at gap schemes. Let's just stick to some gap schemes as opposed to zone schemes. All right, we're struggling when we go five-man protection. Let's keep the back end a little bit more, or let's chip the ends, or let's add some more seven-man pro, or you know, nakeds and sprint out. So you just have to kind of alter the way that you maybe want to operate and pivot to how you need to operate. It seems like when you would go into a store and you see a piece of clothing that you like and you're like, oh my God, that piece of clothing is amazing. And we like, I know that that's fashionable and that works. And then you try it on on yourself and you're like, oh, no, that, that doesn't work. I can't, I can't pull that off. And it's like, well, it doesn't really do you a whole lot of good. You can't really force that to make it work. It's still going to look like, it's still going to look like how it's going to look like on you. And there's nothing you can really do to change that. Right. Yeah. It's, it's totally. interesting. It's interesting because there's a lot of opinions on Will Levis right now, whole lot of draft opinions. You're either all in on him and you're all out. And you know, he didn't have the year that he wanted to, obviously, you know, sort of playing through the injuries probably hurt him in a weird way. But I think yeah. even he would admit that he wanted to have some of those decisions back that, you know, some of those you know, taking too many sacks and all that stuff. You're a touch bias, obviously, having coached him. But, you know, I'm not going to ask you what you think of him. What would you say to people who don't think he's worthy of being one of the first quarterbacks in the draft? I would say his best football I truly believe is ahead of him. You know, when you look at his body of work in terms of the amount of co coordinators he's had to be coached by different systems, different guys that have been blocking for him. And he never flinched. Did he want some of those things back? I'm sure. Did he want to take less hits? I'm sure. But you're never going to say it's for lack of competing and lack of want to and need to and try hard. Uh, his, his heart is always in the right place. 
now sometimes you just got to get his mind in the right spot in terms of, okay, hey, let's throw that thing away here, bro. But when you're in the situation he was in this past year, he's trying to do everything humanly possible to help. And I think that that's probably where you look at, um, you know, my, and my also my thing to him was how many people remember Daniel Jones's last year at college? That's a good point. What was their record? What was the stats? Six and six, maybe? It was bad. That's what I mean. Like, it's not like Josh Allen was over there leading Wyoming to, you know, big-time bowl games. You know, like, his stat line last year was not all that impressive, if I remember correctly. Um, So sometimes the situation can also dictate the results. And then perception starts to become a reality. And you can't always change that narrative until you're in a good situation. And um, you would, you, you, I don't think anybody would say that last year was not a good situation for Will, for the offense. Like it just didn't, it wasn't a good year for not just him, you know, for, for a lot of reasons, similar to why we didn't have a good year on offense in LA when you have no continuity, chemistry, it's a revolving door at multiple different positions specifically the one that uh, is a third of your offensive players, that's hard. Um, It doesn't really matter who that is playing back there. Ultimately, it's going to be really difficult. What's a Levis story that uh, that kind of speaks to who he is? Because I, I think there are some people that that just think, ah, you know, he's the viral quarterback. He's got the mayo and the coffee and all that stuff. But just a, a story that speaks to kind of who he is. Because I know how liked he is in that locker room, and that go that goes obviously uh, pretty far when it comes to the the pre draft evaluation process. But I think you you kind of hear some of these things that come out from him, and you're like, oh yeah, there's a reason why so many people go to bat for him. Um, I think just the dedication to, to greatness. I mean, this kid does not just want to be, you know, okay or solid or, a, you know, average. I mean, there's just no part of his being. It's not in his fiber to just be okay. And I think that that really goes a long way within throughout this draft process when you become a pro because everybody's talented. It's truly the guys that do what you've been told maybe as like a little kid in terms of showing up early, leaving late, doing extra work, being a good person, being, you know, all those little things that, um, you know, your coaches maybe have been telling you since uh, Pop Warner or your parents have been uh, preaching since you were a kid. Uh, That's what makes Aaron Donald, Cooper Cup, Aside from their talent, the football character is huge. It's enormous. And um, Will has uh, that football character. You know, I mean, the the things that uh, make him a leader, you know, a competitor, what drives him um, is very similar to the guys that I've been around at a really high level. And I think that that, that's ultimately you take away – some of the throws or some of the interceptions, some of the mistakes um, he's going to go through this draft process and that will show it'll show up when he meets with these coaches and GMs and, and owners dude, like it's going to show. And that's where I think his body of work, I think people are going to 
obviously look at some of the issues this past year need to be improved. He needs to be coached hard. He likes to be coached hard. Doesn't need to be told that he's great. He needs to be coached. And um, that's something that ultimately I believe that they'll see and, and really like about him. His replacement, the guy that you're going to be working with, Devin Leary, he's a stud. Um, it, definitely a different skill set than Will. What jumps out to you when you watch him? Just a natural throw passer of the football. You know, you just see the ball jump off his hands. Um, I think he's an, a very good opportunity thrower to where the ball placement, it doesn't always have to be here, but he's very much in the cylinder on a lot of throws that you're looking for. Um, accuracy doesn't always just mean that the ball is in a perfect spot. Accuracy is in a, in a spot to where your player can make a play on the ball and the defender can't. And I think he just gives receivers a great opportunity to catch the football when, when he's throwing it. And um, I think he, when you really watch his tape, you look at maybe some of the different body types that he was throwing to. And I think he knew, knows his personnel very well. I think he has an ability to um, become accurate and be accurate no matter who he's throwing to. Little, small, long longer arms, all those different things that, you know, people might not measure when it comes to, um, you know, some of the accuracies and the way that he throws a football. And then I think he's um, a leader. I think he's a natural leader. I think he can really connect with all walks of life. Um, I know some of the players that got to meet him on his official visit really got to, got, got to like him in a, in a pretty quickly. And uh, he's a football junkie, man. I mean, he's – Sending me concepts he likes, pictures, um, details. And so, um, you know, different, like you said, but I think that there's um, an ability to throw the football that you, you really can't deny. More importantly, power rank our beards, mine, yours, and his. Uh, let me see yours <laughs> from the side, dude. Yeah, I got to line up. We got yours, yours is probably yours. Yours is probably taking the cake right now. I'm not going to just say that to you now, but <laughs> I think yours is pretty solid right now. I haven't seen Will's in a while. He gets a little patchy, if I remember. It might not grow in quite as tight, but um, I think he's out here in California, if I if I'm correct. So um, I know he's he's working out here uh, throughout the off season. So um, you know he came out when I uh, he was out here in California in the spring or in May or whatever it was. And he came up to our house at dinner and, um, you know, so I have, but I haven't seen him in a while, but I'll go with yours, dude. I'll take that. Do, is my beard better than, than better than uh, Devin Leary's too? Cause this is pretty thick right now. Last I saw. This is pretty thick. Yeah. And he gets a good tight lineup. He's probably yeah. got a better hairline than both of us. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that all kind of goes into, what you're trying to get accomplished. And I'm, I'm probably sure his is better than ours. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Uh, when you got to Kentucky, the the receivers, the, the cupboard was a little bit more, more bare with proven guys who had been there. And then, you know, you pitch Wandell, he exceeds all everybody's expectations. I, I thought with that one year that he spent in Lexington, but it's, it's different now you, you get Dane key, Barry and Brown, these two guys as true freshmen who are established now. And then obviously you get Tavion Robinson coming back for, for a super senior year. What, what kind of excites you uh, about this group? 
like you said, it's probably just a little deeper, you know, than, than it was uh, when we first got there. Like, obviously, Wandell from the from day one was going to be the guy. I mean, there was no if fans or buts about that. I didn't really care who else was in the room at, <laughs> at the time. And then you see Josh. I mean, how about Josh Ali was active, you know, yeah. a couple of times this year for Atlanta. I saw him when we played Atlanta. I mean, talk about a story uh, under probably valued, underappreciated guy that, you know, I think he had almost 50 catches that year and missed three or four games. So I think he would have he would have had a really good year if he would have been able to stay healthy. Uh, and then after that, you know, we were more so throwing you know, Justin Rigg was involved, tight ends, you know, Isaiah Cummings at the time. So um, I don't think there was a huge secret as to where the ball was typically going when it was thrown. Um, and I used to get a little bit worried. I'm like, well, man, there's too many plays going to Wandell, you know, like we need to maybe spread it out or something. And, you know, I think it was like the Tennessee game. I went, we went into it and I made that comment or, in the coaches like man just let the ball you know just call it and see what happens and I truly like called that game not really like thinking like I got to get the ball to Wandell got to get the ball to Wandell and he ended up with like 15 target 13 targets or something you know and um whereas I think now uh there's a little bit more depth you know there's a couple different body types and skill sets that we can work with. Um, I'm excited to work with those guys as a whole. You know, I think that there's a ton of room for improvement. You know, they got to get in the weight room. They've got to get bigger, faster, stronger. We've got to continue to work on top of routes, release plans, all those kind of things. But um, in terms of their skill set, I'm really, I'm eager to get with those guys and help develop them. Um, And, uh, you know, give them a chance to, see what they can do. I want to get you out of here with some, some rapid fire. You've got moving stuff. You've got a million things going on right now. Uh, so yeah. I want to, want to close you out with this. Just first thing that comes to mind. Does that work? Yeah, of course. All right. Let's first, this is, this is really important. Um, in and out or five guys, five guys. Okay. That's, that's key because you just let the people know that your heart is no longer in LA. It's officially back to the, to the, the South, the, the Midwest, whatever, you know, that the non West coast <laughs> part of the country, that's key. Okay. Um, 22 the fries, persons. the fries aren't great. It, okay. Yeah. I mean the, the fries at, at five guys is like, it's an experience and you, you need to know that going yeah. in where it's like, you know, but like in and out, everybody says like the fries are just, you could just leave them, just have the burger. You don't need the fries. It's true. I never want to eat them. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, 22 personnel or five wide? Mm. Maybe five wide out of 22 personnel. Oh, that's good. Little little double motion. I, you know, I just, I'm, I'm just not a, yeah, I mean, I'm just not, you know, to me, you just, you, 20, we're not going to be sitting there and, you know, the eye, I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> SEC defensive coordinators take note. Not, not using a fullback. Uh, true, true or false being the Rams offensive coordinator is the only job that you would have left for after the 2021 season, excluding the best job on earth, which is hosting wheel of fortune. hundred percent true. Yeah. 
Okay. That's didn't even have to ask that. Just needed to make sure. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Okay. Uh, you haven't tweeted since April. You said, quote, proud is an mm. understatement at UK football hashtag BBN. I've got two choices for your first tweet back and neither of them are the cliche. Let's get to work thing that every coach does when they start a new mm. job. So um, these are my suggestions. You retweet uh, the episode or any sort of clip that comes out from this, or because I did, I know that you didn't even retweet UK's official announcement so odds of getting a retweet are pretty slim to none for me. I'll admit that. Or what you can do, <laughs> just copy and paste the proud is an understatement tweet and just fire that one up. Um, I didn't retweet that, huh? But the no, Kentucky, you I didn't even, uh, yeah, it's pretty bad. Um, wow. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a great retweeter. I'm probably not a great tweeter as it is. Um, I really see I look for news. You know, I'm like, ah, oh, people don't really care what I have to say. I just want to see, you know, NBC, you know, see the news, ESPN, whatever. Um, yeah, I got to get on that. I got to get on that. It's a good call, dude. April, last tweet, huh? Well, goes to show the d- difference in the NFL and in college football is, you know, just a little bit different in those ways. That's fair. You didn't even have to change your profile pic, though, because it's still you in, in UK stuff. I mean, it was after the Citrus How about Bowl. that? So that worked out really well. Um, <laughs> I know, dude. I know. Okay, that worked last, out well. Last one for you. You're a relatively new dad. Um, I'm going to be a dad in a few months here. Best dad advice that you can give me? Uh, have you read the books? I've gotten to the middle of the books. I haven't completed the mm, books. Mm. Yeah, they, they don't matter. I mean, you know, the, the books are great for maybe helping to understand what your significant other is going through. Yeah. I felt like that's where the books help. The books aren't telling you squat about what it really means to be a parent. Uh, congratulations. Thank you. Um, good luck. Um, you're probably, you know, the thing, the beautiful, beautiful thing about being a dad is um, you're always kind of the good guy. Yeah, you know? that's a good point. You know, at least you're always the good guy, um, which will, you know, has dri- driven Ashley crazy. Um, but it's uh, it's huge, man. It is uh, a huge reason, honestly, why, you know, we're ending up, you know, we're going to come there, um, you know. I want my kid to be, you know, to be around football and be around the building and be impacted by the players, you know, and that's just in the NFL and college that is a little different, you know, and um, the ability for my, for my family to be around us, maybe more on a day-to-day basis. Um, but it's the single most amazing thing that you can ever have happen, dude. So good luck. <laughs> good luck that's all i needed that's all i needed right there uh liam good luck dude time. just just wait just just all you get you know in the middle of the night don't tell your wife when the baby's crying and she's crying and everything's crazy do not tell her you need to be tough oh just what? don't do that what why why would i do what you you made that mistake yeah that was that was yeah a little bit you know <laughs> It was a tough, it was a really difficult week. And um, 
I was, it was not my proudest moment and I will never um, utter those words ever again, because she is a hundred times tougher than I ever thought about being. You treated so, like a receiver just, coming over the middle and you're like alligator. Yeah. Arms it. yeah that was, <laughs> that was way too, that was way too coach speak in, in a poor choice of words. And uh, yeah, I'll be living. I won't live that one down ever. <laughs> Appreciate the time. This has been great. Uh, if someone too, mistakes bro. you for me, do what I do. Um, yeah. When I get mistaken for you and like local newscasters in, in Lexington, like think that I'm you um, just roll with it and just pretend mm -hmm. you just go into the bit. <laughs> I appreciate it, bro. Thanks for having me on, man. What's my destiny, Mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know what you're going to get. Figuring it out. Talking about something that I did for the first time in my adult life. Buying a car. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I shouldn't say I. That is a we thing. Well, I was talking about this with Lauren. We have lived in states that we didn't grow up in. Like mm -hmm. she lived in Indiana at first. I lived in Nebraska. We have moved, made set like multiple moves post college. We got engaged, got married, house, pet, like all these life events. And somehow buying a car was like last on that list. Even, you know, like have a baby, although that's, I guess, that technically is going to happen after buying a car. But that we made was the decision first. Yeah. Yeah. We made the decision first to, to have, to have a child, but for whatever reason, and we've done so as a one car household, like we've been a one car household for almost, yeah. For six years, six years, which is just bananas because I work from home. Lauren has a pretty easy commute. We used to work across the street from each other. Our old offices at SDS were right across the street from where uh, she worked um, with, with, um, with her company and, now we're like, hmm, if you have a kid, you can't just have one car. Can't just have one car. Needed the you second one. It's interesting on that note too. I feel like there are some things that intentionally are not kind of become like your little comfort blanket. Like for me, it was my backpack that I actually just replaced this Christmas. Because you, if you ever saw me go anywhere, I had the same backpack from the first day I started college to me being like a manager now. And like sometimes there's like that one thing that you're just kind of hanging on to. You're just like, I don't want to figure this out just yet. So yeah. Yeah. And as we talked about the the comfort level of having one car that has had the issues that ours has had in the last mm -hmm. year, uh, not ideal and just didn't yeah. want to be in a situation like that. So we knew that we're, that was going to be something we were going to have to do um, before, before our daughter is born at the end of May. And we were able to do that over the weekend. So we did like a Lauren did, by the way, like all the research that went into this and ended up going to two different dealerships, just the second dealership that we went to was um, was a was a Mazda dealership in Claremont. Ended up getting a Mazda CX-5 with had eleven thousand miles on it, and it's a twenty twenty. Which mm -hmm. we were going used car no matter what, pretty much mm -hmm. unless the the prices of new cars just absolutely blew us away. But we went through that entire process, and it's weird because I was raised by a dad who sold cars. Mm -hmm. my, my dad sold cars my entire life. And I still did not fully know. And my dad, because he's no longer with us, I couldn't like call him up and say, Hey, this is what this salesperson is telling me about this, this, and this. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't necessarily get that advice. So it was kind of weird going through that process, knowing that a lot of 
you know, what I was talking about on the other end, like this was my dad's you know, daily life for decades and for a very long time. And so I mm-hmm. had him on my mind throughout this entire thing of like, what would my dad be saying about this guy? What would he be saying about this deal and all those different things? Like you can hear those, like that voice in the back of your head, but um, nonetheless, relatively pain-free process and mm-hmm. knock on wood, knock on wood to only have to go to two dealerships, only did two test drives. We knew what we wanted. I can't imagine going into some of these situations and just having no idea, like just walking into a dealership, looking around and going, I want that one. To me, mm-hmm. that is like, that is the ultimate fly by the seat of the pants thing that I look, if that's you, great. I I would be terrified in a spot like that. And it was, uh, it ended up working out to be able to kind of do research, know the points that we wanted to be able to hit on going in reliability, all those different things. But yeah, we added a, a new vehicle. And for the first time, uh, we have a, a two car household and that's, that's an adjustment in itself. Like, Oh, what's not blocking in the driveway. I'm now the guy that has, a, we have at least one car in our driveway at all mm-hmm. times, which I'm not crazy about that, but it's, you know, it's an adjustment you got to make. So yeah, buying a car. It was fun. We got a lot of a lot of different things that we're going to get into with, with the Facebook group. Before we do that, Will, you have a story. Oh, yes. Um, so first off, congrats. That's super. I know it can be really frustrating, especially I felt that with my mom when I bought a house. And obviously my mom was still mm. with me, but she's a real estate, like, you know, that's her thing. And so every time I, I had somebody tell me something, I was like, would your mom laugh at you for thinking this was real? That was like yeah. how I framed it. It's like, I'm going to go call my mom and tell her this. And she could be like, are you serious, Will? Premium air. You know what I'm saying? So if you see that TikTok, but yeah, uh, I will tell another Sandy story. So the story of my first car, I don't know if you ever saw my first car. It was a Chevy um, Avalanche. I probably no, I not. Only saw the Jeep. Yes. Okay. So my first car was a 2004 chevy avalanche and it was a um southern comfort edition so it was best i could find out southern comfort was a detail shop out in like alabama or something that i don't i don't even think it's around anymore by the time i got the car in like 2011 it was on the way out or it closed this car was a car that you that was different colors from different angles and so you looked looked at it from one angle and it was gold and you looked at it from another angle and it was silver and it was just such a perfect first car it was a truck it could haul it was incredibly unique looking but it was an 04 you know what i'm saying like it wasn't something nice and new it was exactly what i needed and um the story of that car is my mom just pulled up with it one day i was like mom what what is this and she's like well no, you needed a car. I was at a gas station and I really liked this one. So I asked the guy who was driving it, you know, is it for sale? And he said, well, you know, kind of thinking about it. And she said, well, give me a second, you know, pulled up the Kelly Blue Book and said, you know, whatever that is, I'll give you $2,000 on top of that right now. I'll write you a check. Whoa. <laughs> and I was like, are you serious? Like, that's my, I can just drive this. She goes, yeah, happy birthday. I was like, are you serious? And mind you, this is a car that, like I said, you look and you're like, what is this thing? Like it was, and I'll show you pictures of it. I'll put a hilarious picture in the Facebook group that I'm imagining right now. But this car got me to every high school f- function, football game, party, and everybody knew my car. Like that was my mom's thing. She's like, this is unique. It's not that expensive. It's an 04, so he can like kind of play around in it. Uh, but I found out that when you scratch that paint, it's not fun, especially with the detail shop is like not a thing anymore because we had to get like a little part of it repainted. I eventually was just like, no, because you got to put it on in one coat because like I said, it's the 30 degree angle is gold. The 60 degree angle is silver. Oh, and God. it was it was such and then I ended up as I uh, you know, by the end of it, I put like some speakers in it. It was like the most ridiculous car that I have owned. Believe it or not. Your mom said, my son needs a car. I saw one at the gas station that I liked. I'm just going to throw two grand on top of whatever this is. 
and just buy it for him. Yep. That is incredible. Unbelievable. And like looking back at it, it was like, yeah, because you were going to get like a used crappy car anyway. So why not just spring for the extra three or four grand, get you something you're going to be known for? Because people were like, oh my gosh, you have like this like weird drug dealer car. Not weird, but like it was just like this. It was like, why does a kid in high school have this? Because it just didn't, it car made no sense. I loved it so much. And then, like I said, you would always see me pulling up to the football games and the car would change colors as it passed you. It was cool, man. That's no wonder you had all the parties at your house in high school. Goodness, man. That's was, crazy. You know, that was the old me. I am now figuring it out. I could never <laughs> drive that, you know, to a work function now because they'd be like, what are you doing? Anyway. Yeah. Now, now as adults, we hear the words certified pre-owned and we're like, I think I'd like that. All right. Okay. Uh, show me the Carfax. Let's do yeah. it. <laughs> real thing. Real thing. Got yeah. really into the Carfax and, and everything and, and finding out, trying to, trying to piece together what the previous owner did with a car. I don't know. Maybe maybe i'm just a sicko and i like thinking about that but i was laura and i were kind of talking about in the car we're like oh yeah this was probably you know this guy bought the car early in the pandemic and then why would you get rid of it after only putting ten thousand miles on it like what what exactly was the situation maybe you just couldn't afford the payment i I don't know what the case was but we had like some some sort of synopsis of of what exactly happened before us but the nice thing when you have that certified pre-owned which not every car you're ever going to probably have is going to have the certified pre-owned you mm-hmm. kind of know, like, all right, the dealership's already done all the vetting for you. You're not in a situation where you're you're like buying a car just literally off the street like that. Which, if you can get away with it, man, the certified pre-owned is expensive too. Like they mm-hmm. they factor that in absolutely. Like that is a major major selling point. It's one of the things that they say, you know, if you buy off of Carvana or something like that. And we'll get into some of the non-traditional. Um, methods to be able to buy a car. But that's one of the things that they say, like, yeah, like they can just sprinkle some fairy dust on it and say, and tell you what you think you want to know about a car and really not know its entire history. Like maybe this car was in a flood and you just won't know. And it'll have issues that show up. So yeah, there's just a lot that goes into it. Big purchase. Really let big me purchase. let me say this. I'm sure like one of the comments gets this, but I want to ask you because you just did this and I experienced this because I've helped Brittany buy cars. I've never seen more clear and blatant sexism than at a car dealership. In oh, my opinion, yeah. if you go to a car dealership with your girl, they will treat your girl like she was the dumbest person on earth. And for people with our situation where our <laughs> girls are like strong women, it is the dumbest way to not, to sell a car because it's like, oh, you've now upset my girl. I can't help you, dog. Okay, so I want to I want to say I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush because, like I said, like my dad, my dad sold cars my entire life. Like I, there are issues with salespeople in general, right? That. I've seen in various situations, I've talked about my frustration, furniture shopping, mattress mm-hmm. shopping. I met one of the most inconsiderate, douchiest, uh, douchey is the wrong word, but just like just an absolute jerk of a mm-hmm. salesperson that like literally said as we as we were about to leave, he's like, you're either not going to, you're going to buy it, you're, you're going to not buy this because you, it was too expensive uh, or you didn't like me. And it's one of those two options. And I'm like, I wanted to say to him, it was because I didn't like you. Like you option sucked. two, big dog. Thanks for yeah. the honesty. Always option two. But that's that stuff is 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 important. And I do take uh, a bit of offense when people paint with the broad brush of like, you know, they sold it like a used car salesman. I used to have teachers that would say that when I was in class. And I'd be the, the mm-hmm. person that says, hey, my dad doesn't sit at work at, all day and make fun of your profession. So I'd request that you not do the same to his. Right. Having said that, having said that, yes. Some of the sexism at the first place that we went to, which will remain nameless, I felt 
because in the days that followed and not just in person when you're there and you know, the conversation is being directed at you because you're the man. And I'm like, my mm-hmm. wife's been doing 85% of the talking here. Mm-hmm. She should be the one answering the questions here. She's the one that's done all the research. How can you guys not see this yet? It's not like I I'm handling the finances or something like, yeah, we, we share finances, whatever. But in the texts and calls in the following days, I think Lauren got like one and I got it from like three different people. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what, what are, what are we doing here? Because there is no vibe, none whatsoever that I gave off that said to you, I am in control of this situation. Every time Lauren opened her mouth, it was, she is in control of the situation. She knows what's best. I'm going to interject with a few questions here or there. Mm-hmm. But other than that, no, she is, she's running the show. I am just, I'm the, she's the head coach. I'm the analyst. All right. right. I'm not even, I'm not even an on-field assistant at this point. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, th- th- so I agree with that point. And there's definitely some of that. We'll get into some of the stuff with horror stories and salespeople and, and dealing with all that, but it does make a difference. I think to go to the right person. And when you find that right mm-hmm. person, and my dad used to talk about this all the time. My dad would have entire families that he would sell <laughs> cars to because once you get that person, and I felt this with the second dealership that we went to, and that's not to say the first one was terrible, but I felt it a lot more with the second one that we went to. Once you find that person who you feel like isn't going to screw you over, mm-hmm. you, you just want to go back to them and you put your trust in them. They're going to tell you, this is a good deal. This isn't a good deal. And I got it in a way that I never understood it growing up. I was like, Dad, you have an entire family of six people that you've sold cars to. Don't they want other cars? What? Why do they want your cars? Like you can only sell them so much, but it does make a difference, and it makes a difference with the experience. Hundred percent. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, hundred. I, I, yeah, I. You're right. I again, child of a salesperson. I 100% back all of that up. That it's like, you can tell, my mom always says, I, I choose a salesperson. I don't choose a product. I see when I get someone I know I can trust that is going to be straight with me. You're exactly right. Let's go to the Saturday Down South podcast Facebook group. Thank you for all the, the great responses that we have. A lot of responses. We will not be able to get to all these. I asked the question, best tips for your experiences, new or used, Carvana or non-traditional routes, ya or na, and any car buying horror stories. Let's start with this one from Austin Foster. Austin says, I've only been a part of one car buying process. Biggest tip, have someone that knows or teaches finances with you and watch a salesman's eyes pop out when they pull out a calculator, (laughs) figuring payments and interest, and then telling said salesman, nah, you got to do better than that. They will. He's right. They will... They can tweak the numbers with extending if uh, if you're if you're getting a loan or something like that and you want to pay it off over 48 months, over 60 months, 72. They can tweak those numbers to where you're like, oh, I can make that monthly payment. One of the calls that I got in those two or three days after was basically a salesperson tweaking the numbers and them trying to put me in a position where they're like, well, what do you want to pay per month? And then- they tell you, oh, well, here's how we can do this with this car. And boom, you're right there. Having that someone that kind of knows, hey, you're still paying this, this, and this, and this actually isn't what you want to do. Mm-hmm. You need that. You need to have that like kind of hard and fast thing and to know what that looks like. But I didn't really realize how much they could tweak mm-hmm. that that process, especially if you're, you know, if you're paying for it all in cash, like only 
and if you're paying for all of it, you're not getting any sort of loan or anything like that. You're not doing mm-hmm. any financing. Then there's really only so much you can say. That's kind of your your card to play. Other than that, mm-hmm. they're not really going to find a whole lot of wiggle room for you probably. But it was kind of interesting seeing that and then seeing them pull out the calculator and, oh, yeah, yeah it would be this, this, and this. But it's still this. You're not really taking much off the overall price of the car, and that's what's important. Yeah, and I mean, if any, it's just like football. It's matchups, right? So if you have a salesperson who's strong suit is not math, and they get in with somebody like you and Lord, it's like you're gonna you're gonna be locked in the torture chamber. You're gonna be matched up with Hakeem all day because you guys are gonna you know you guys are gonna not be like yeah, of course I'm not even gonna check those numbers. So yeah, that's that's the best part is when you can kind of catch him and be like, all right, bro. And and you know, credit Lauren. Lauren was the person who like because I got off the phone with this. After having that conversation, I was like, oh, yeah, that actually kind of makes a little bit of sense the way that he put that. And she's like, no, if you right. put it out over 72 months versus 40, 48, which like we want to pay it off in 48, then that's that totally changes everything. So, yeah, just be be very mindful of those specific things. Grant, you need to some hill math. <laughs> got to get the, the signing bonus, the dead years. You got to get it all. Anyway. Yeah. What counts against the cap? What doesn't? Um, Grant Haney says, best tip I received when it comes to buying a car I got from my brother-in-law whose advice was to save up and pay cash for a used vehicle. Yeah, that'd mm-hmm. be great. Uh, there is no better feeling than walking off a car lot, having purchased a car that you now own 100% of while having avoided being under a dreaded car. I think he meant loan. Uh, Both my wife and I have uh, headed the paying cash advance um, or have heeded the paying cash advice and have zero regrets with the used car slash SUV we have owned uh, going on four years now. My wife and I have since applied the advice toward um, towards our kids with our oldest son buying a truck at 16 and our daughter 15 preparing to do the same when she buys her own vehicle this spring. Yep. If you can pay for something, do it. If you can pay for something like that, makes a lot of sense. Different than buying a house, mm-hmm. which buying a house, like you don't really need to, especially if interest rates are, are kind of like are really, really low, like they were at least a couple of years ago. And I know they've since come back up. But mm-hmm. yeah, if you could pay for a car, just all up front, no loan, no payment every month, just have it. And a used car, especially. Mm-hmm. That's not going to depreciate in the same sort of way as a new car. Mm, yeah, <laughs> good advice. Great advice. Mm-hmm. Difficult to do that. Really difficult to do that, depending on what you want. But if you're getting a used car, obviously that price is going to be a little bit lower. Just don't buy outside of your means, I guess, if you want to pay for a car entirely up front, not have any of that hanging over you. Let's go to this one from Matthew Sedro. Matthew says, buy used cars and pay in full up front. Okay, we've got a theme here. Uh, mm-hmm. No loans, no monthly payments. You get pretty good vehicles for much better value, and if you and if you take care of it, a decent car can last a decade. That's a good question. What? It, there's not there's not one set number for this because it depends on mileage and all those different things. So like when you get a car, but when you buy a car that you're spending, and it's not like just something like a used car you buy when you're in high school or in college or something like that. When you buy in a, a car as, as an adult, mm-hmm. is is 10 years the, the standard number for it? Because my mom got like 16 or 17 out of her Highlander. Mm-hmm. And she now mm-hmm. thinks that that's, that's the goal every single time. And I'm kind of like, I think you're really lucky. That, that sounds incredible. 16, 17 years. Like I, a decade, I think should be the standard. Yeah, I think I, I don't see anyone talking about cars versus trucks, so I'll just kind of shoehorn this in here. 
the you know if you want a car to last a long time you know how it goes get you a basic car don't get but there is something to having a truck and they talked about getting one for your last um for, for the last one talked about getting one for their son i will say this you know if you get a truck no need one don't don't be one of these southern and i'm talking to my southern folks here i've been a truck owner my whole life i work in film so my car looks ridiculous until it's hauling stuff and then you're like oh i get it if you want a car to last that long chances are you're probably going to want a car and you're you don't get all the extra stuff because that's the stuff that breaks if you want a car for longevity get a pretty stock model car because those are the ones they test those are the ones they know work but the farther you get away from that basic honda accord the shorter your lifespan is likely going to be it's so hard to figure out some of that stuff too like Mm -hmm. it's really hard i i mean i'm i feel grateful that lauren's 2010 Kia Forte, which, you know, she's had since college is, mm-hmm. is still, is still running. And mm-hmm. uh, even though we had some scares a few months ago, we're still in a place where we're like, all right, as long as we don't have something massive happen, transmission goes bust or something like that. And that's the nice thing with getting some of these cars is and now is that you, you know, you got your seven year warranty or whatever, seven year, hundred thousand mile warranty, whatever it is, but there's a little bit more insurance in something like that. And it mm-hmm. makes you feel a little bit better. But man, if if you can take care of it and get ten years out of it, I don't know. That feels that's a that's a win. That's, yeah, that's a win. That's all you can ask for. Lauren Jefford says, "Give your business to someone who treats you fairly." I was twenty three and went in to buy a car on my own. The salesman was taking personal phone calls while he was showing me around the lot. The satisfaction I had when that Toyota dealership called a few days later and asked me if I would be coming back to purchase a vehicle, and I told them no because I bought one from the other Toyota dealership the next town over due to their unprofessional behavior. Wow. Um, this Lauren can speak to this. Um, the dynamic of salesperson not taking you as the point person has got to be frustrating. Just mm-hmm. so annoying. But like she said, there is there are there are always other options, right? There there are people that will drive very, very far to get a car. And even as we talk about the the shortage and in the industry, just to be able to get, you know, new pieces and, and, and how that all played out over the course of the last year plus, like there are always other options, right? Like, and it's very weird when people are just of the assumption that you're not going to do anything. I actually think that the the reverse of that is a better situation to be in when you can smell their desperation a little bit (laughs) (laughs) and they're calling in the big guns like all right what do we got to do to get you out of this situation with a car because we don't Mm want to lose this that's to me is more respectful though it can be more annoying that is more respectful than the situation that she talked about where they're not even taking you seriously and they're like you're not going to buy and my dad has talked about this before too like people that come in and he knows they're not buying and they just go from this car to this car mm-hmm. and ask a couple of lame questions. And it's frustrating, but he would always make it a point to say like, I'm never going to show that. I'm never going to show that I'm not interested in them. Right. But of course, like you're, you're always going to run into people that just don't really take that seriously. That sucks. Ugh. So this is a little bit of a, another slight off topic. We were talking about Toyota. Do you know of a, a person named W. Edwards Dimming in the car industry? Do not. No. So really fascinating stuff. Basically, there's this guy named William Edwards Dimming, who was like a physicist, and he basically helped rebuild post-World War II Japan. 
And a lot of the reason for the reason like why Japanese cars are so um, reliable is because they kind of built their whole society around sustainability after everything was kind of level. They built it from the ground up and they give out this thing called the Deming Prize, which is like one of the greatest honors kind of in that society. And it's Japanese name after Japanese name of guys that uh, have efficiency. And so when you think about when those things kind of switch, uh, you know, the Japanese car manufacturers had to go up against this big wall of American uh, exceptionalism where Ford and Chevy were the kings of the industry. So they had to prove over the course of decades that these cars are more reliable now i say all of that to say when you're working at a toyota or a honda and you could go to the next town over and get the same car that you know is going to be that reliable and there's nothing special about it why would you not try to at least work with somebody because that's the thing it's like dude you're not really even doing me a favor this car has already done the sales i remember we went to honda when we were looking for british car and the dude straight up told us here's your offer it's the sticker price take it or don't these things are selling like hotcakes. And we were like, you know what? That's awesome. Great for you guys. I think you have a great product. We're going to get on out of here because that's not the deal I'm trying to do today. It's, it is funny though, that just the overall vibe, the overall yep. vibe, if you just get kind of, and, and like I said, like they're the other extreme of, they want you so much that it's, it's just like way too pushy. And you're like, I, I can't, I can't deal with this. It is weird how that, it, that definitely impacts how you feel about a situation. If you're willing to drive 45 minutes the other way, or mm-hmm. you know, like my dad we would have, would have people that would drive in from like Michigan to get a car. Mm-hmm. They're like, Oh, if you're willing to drive that car, because yeah, you got it for $1,500 better. And it's like, I could spend a couple hundred bucks driving out here. Even if I had to spend an overnight here, I'm still saving money mm-hmm. and it's worth my time to do something like that. Yeah. Always, always remember there, there's gotta be another option. It's never always. the last car. In Earth. Always as a consumer, there are always, it, your annoyance is the X factor. That's the coefficient. Yes. If you're willing to wait, you are a king. Exactly. Exactly. Let's end with this one from Chris Milan. This is this is a good one. Uh, he says, you got to be willing to leave in a second. Just like you said, they mm-hmm. want you more than you want the car. So make sure that's known. I got my new, uh, I got my new used is usually fine. As long as the history is trustworthy. Um, I did nothing unusual though. I did sell my, my truck, uh, direct, but I've only ever bought from a traditional dealer. Most dealers slash salespeople are pretty awful to work with, but I have two stories that stick out. These are good. Uh, first one, at Kia, the salesperson, while I was testing out a Kia and a Mazda, was selling me more on Toyota than Kia based on our <laughs> conversations, since I was looking at a Toyota at the time as well. Uh, mm-hmm. And he says, and this is, might offend some people, Nissan is the worst. Uh, that guy I dealt with was your typical sleazy salesman ignored my wife, which really pissed her off, but he was annoying even me. But the best part of his work was a few days later, my grandmother had passed away. Uh, he says it was mostly expected at that point. And the sales guy messages me asking if I was still interested. I reply, hey, my grandmother just passed, so I'm in a very rough place right now. And he replies, I'm sorry to hear that. But anyways, you want to buy or not? No way, bro. (laughs) So I told him uh, to, for lack of better words, make love to himself. (laughs) friendly podcast that's what you should tell someone if they text you that that was one of the few environments that if i have kids i would be like you know what go ahead because that dude deserves that yep uh i don't have anything to add to that that's uh <laughs> that's a horror story that's a horror story let's walk off on that uh yep. let, let of the week i think we have the same one we both have peyton hillis don't we 
Yes, yes. I listen. I had dibs. I texted to you. So, Go ahead. Yep, yep. <laughs> so basically, Peyton Hillis um has been on a wild week this week and over the last week a little bit. He was in Pensacola, um, and based and he is on the road to recovery now because in a moment he basically did. Let me just read the report. Hillis has been hospitalized since he reportedly aided in a water rescue January fourth that involved at least one family member off the coast of Pensacola, Florida. So basically. He saved like this group of people that were struggling in the water. Bystander helped them turn out to be him, turn out to be former Arkansas and Browns running back Peyton Hillis. And so he then was on in the hospital. He was kind of like fighting for his life after saving this group of people. And he is now on the road to recovery, like I said. So like now we can talk about this in a positive light. But it just goes to show, you know, like we always talk about it on Lad of the Week character. It's like, yeah, I'm this famous NFL running back, famous like, you know, that, that type of thing. But I'm not above trying to help some people who are down, who are in danger. And so, yeah, that's Lad of, Lad of the Week for sure, because he put his own health kind of to the side and is now you know obviously dealt with the consequences and sometimes it's you know sometimes it's really hard to do that type of stuff and so definite lab of the week for Peyton Hillis I explained that kind of clunkily do you have a better like summation of that no I was just going to add the the fact that he was in critical condition everybody's kind of like whoa this is bizarre mm-hmm. and the timing of it too everybody's kind of talking about Tamar Hamlin so you know understandably mm-hmm. so like that was a little bit on the national back burner but seeing the updates no longer on a ventilator, um, his girlfriend shared that Angela Cole, um, that, that was like, Oh gosh, like we avoided a tragedy with this guy who was very well known for a brief period of time in NFL circles. And obviously Arkansas fans remember him very well, but it was kind of like one of these guys who you don't want to, you almost don't want to hear headlines about them. If you haven't heard about them from 10 years, cause more times than not, it's not good. Mm-hmm. That that's just, that's reality, but hearing that there is a a good ending to a situation that could have been just so unbelievably tragic, yes, mm-hmm. Peyton Hillis is is a lad, physically imposing dude. I remember yeah. being like I entered when I when I entered for the Colts, he was a post game press conference. He was standing in because uh, it was they lost to the Browns. This year the Colts were one in fifteen. Yeah, the Curtis mm-hmm. Painter year in between Peyton and uh, and Andrew Luck. And in this post game press conference, I was like, oh yeah, he, like. He's just built like that. He, I think he played with the neck roll, but he was a human being who was born with a neck roll as well. (laughs) (laughs) Just thinking, oh my God, that that was a year that was like right after he was on on the Madden cover. I think that was his only good game the following season or something like that. Mm -hmm. I was like, Peyton Hillis, man, just a, just a big old dude. They don't make him like that very often. They definitely, yeah, that's, that's the guy, you know, if you want an NFL draft to aid you in a recovery like that, he's sturdy. You know, he could probably, there's a whole family that says, you know, two adults, two children. Like he's, he was out there. So you just, like I said, you love to see it. And especially, you know, these guys are SEC legends and go out to the NFL. Like you said, you know, sometimes you just never know. So it's cool to see that he is, you know, number one, being a lad out on a boat, enjoying his time off. Number two, spring in action, whatever it's called. That's, that's amazing. Love to see it. Love to mm-hmm. see it. Plan for the next, uh, what are we talking like next four months? Yeah. Through the NFL draft, we're going to be recording mm-hmm. Mondays and Thursdays. So those mm-hmm. pods will come out. Tuesdays and Fridays. Sometimes we'll drop it a little bit early. It'll go out the night before, but usually those are going to be dropping Tuesday mornings and Friday mornings. We'll still be two a week moving forward. Got a lot of great things in the works. We've got some some great guests I'm really, really excited about coming up in the very, very near future here. If you have not, leave us a five-star review, subscribe to this podcast, follow us on Twitter at the SDS pod, at Sat Down South. Join the Facebook group here named Red on Air with Figuring Out or Bold and Brush. Thanks guys. Talk soon.